0: The blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcastingafterdark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us, and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us.
1: Podcasting After Dark presents TV Obscura, a deep dive into underrated and unknown television shows from our youth. Cartoons, sitcoms, cop shows, and much more. Sit back and enjoy some nostalgic fun with TV Obscura.
2: Welcome to the yearly wrestling episode of Podcasting After Dark Presents TV Obscura. That's right, brother. I'm one third of the TV Obscura team. Sleazy C. A.K.A. Corey. Joined with me, as always, is the snack. The total snack at Schaefer's Zack and the Armageddon Diallo Jackson. And this year, we are going to be talking about some crazy wrestling events. First up, brother, we're going to be talking about When the Madness Meets the Mania, Saturday Night Main Event 1987, brother. Oh, yeah. Then we're going to be going into the war games at WCW Wrestle War 1991. And then lastly, we're going to be talking about the tragedy of the Shockmaster.
0: Woo. <laughs> Guys, I have a new appreciation for what those guys and gals do up on stage because I did that for probably when it gets trimmed down for a minute and a half and I could feel my fucking vocal cords about to be fried. How the <laughs> fuck does like Randy Savage, R.A.P. and, you know, Hulk Hogan back in the day, like maintain that level of intensity for like minutes on end, like maybe up to like five to ten minutes. It's fucking insane anyways guys and gals as i said if you understood me at all this is our yearly our annual wrestling episode because we like to do it close to uh, wrestlemania uh because zach and diallo are huge wrestling fans and through osmosis i am as well <laughs> <laughs> guys how excited are you for wrestlemania this year 2023 diallo what's uh can you get Can we talk about WrestleMania really quick? What's the big, um, uh, I guess, match
3: this year? Who's the big matchup? Does anyone know? Um, You have to ask Zach. I have zero idea. I know uh, what Roman Reigns (laughs) is is fighting, uh, and that's it. I don't really catch up with it as much as I used to, and I kind of, like, osmosis, like, like you just said i kind of get it through zach when he talks about it like when something's coming up he'll talk about it and i'm like ooh, ooh, ooh. but i don't watch it like i religiously did back in the day that back in the 80s and the 90s okay so so zach <laughs> throwing the same
0: question to you my friend what's uh what's wrestlemania this year looking like
1: Well, I I tapped in about a month ago to watch Royal Rumble to kind of get my feet wet again on the current storylines because, like Diallo, I don't really watch the current product as much as I used to. Uh, However, and it's topical because it connects with one of our stories tonight, the American dream Dusty Rhodes, baby. His son Cody Rhodes is taking on Roman Reigns, who is the son of Sika, who uh, popped up in another one of our episodes tonight that's the big main event for wrestlemania uh john cena he actually is gonna make uh, another wrestling appearance he's gonna wrestle in a match wow. against a dude that is uh austin aries that's a guy who's not worth his weight in gold in my opinion are we gonna be able Oprinion. to see him so, yeah we will be able to see him and his uh his, well he's made he's made it very obvious actually his latest promo he did against this guy austin austin aries no not it's fuck it's not austin aries austin theory that's his name yeah i I said austin aries sorry austin aries is not uh his opponent That, that guy's a a legit wrestler in his own right. Austin Theory, who's not worth his weight in gold, in my opinion. I'm not a fan of his. But, yeah, uh, John Cena will be making a WrestleMania appearance, and so will his bald spot. (laughs) And I only say that because he he called it out himself in the latest promo on Monday Night Raw a couple weeks ago. It's gold. It's really funny. Like, he tore this guy down. And Diallo, you know when, like, When a veteran shoots on a younger guy and makes him look like a tool bag in front of the audience, that's not always a good thing for the new guy. So, um, yeah, so he's in Austin. Speaking of Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin may uh, wrestle this year as well, potentially, because WrestleMania is in Los Angeles, so there's a rumor about that. There's a bunch of other, you know, undercard matches that are decent uh, Trish Stratus is going to be wrestling again. Holy, holy Trish, crap. Trish the Dish. Yep. Yeah, she's uh, she's going to be in a six-man with Lita. And uh, Becky Lynch, who's kind of like... Who does a great Cindy Lauper impersonation on the Rock TV show um, sitcom. Anyways, yeah. Uh, WrestleMania is now a two-night event. It used to be one. Uh, I think that's changed over... I think right before the pandemic, I think it switched to two nights. Or during the pandemic. I forget when.
0: Well, so... I know you used to have wrestling parties. Do you still have them? WrestleMania well, yeah, I'm parties, going, I should say.
1: I'm going to have one on Saturday, and Diallo, of course, you're invited. Uh, we have plans Sunday, but we'll do at least we'll, we'll at least watch Saturday night. And I used to give out prizes and all sorts of stuff.
0: Yeah, I I still have my um my belt and everything that I think I won at one of yours. But my question was, so which one do you have a party for? If you can only have a party for one, like what is the main? uh match is it I saturdays mean, or is it sundays
1: they haven't announced the full lineup as of this recording yet uh wh- so i don't know whether it's going to be saturday or sunday for i really want to see the cody rhodes roman reigns match i think it'll be a decent match and roman reigns is a good heel um for all you non-wrestling fans he's a bad guy and uh, uh cody rhodes being you know he's got a great story. And the whole gimmick that they're running with right now is that he's carried, you know, his father, Dusty Rhodes, who was a champion in the NWA, uh, never got the WWF title because he was relegated to polka dots. And as uh, his, his Diallo definitely knows all that whole backstory, um, he never got the big match, right? Because he wasn't Vince's guy. So Cody Rhodes is coming back. He came back and, uh, you know, f- might fulfill his father's destiny. His father's dream, so to speak,
0: and Cody Rhodes' his American is not... dream. Yeah, okay, good call. And Cody Rhodes is not Gold Dust, correct? They're different. He's
1: not but Dustin they're... Reynolds, uh, AKA Dustin Rhodes, is Gold Dust, and he wrestles in AEW part time. Like he's in his late forties, early fifties now, I think. But
0: they're related, right?
1: They're brothers. Yeah, oh, okay. they're brothers. Okay. I think there's three. They've got a sister as well. Okay. Um, okay. It, but yeah, Cody and then Dustin may come up in this discussion as well when, when he was the uh, the natural Dustin Rhodes.
0: Well, we, we certainly have a lot to talk about. Um, but... I do want to get all of our listeners, especially the new listeners, up to speed as to where our level of fandom sort of lies. Um, we, we did a wrestling episode last year. Um, we called it out then that this is going to be an annual thing because all three of us enjoy wrestling to some degree. you know. Um, and I we talked about it then, but I, again, just want to sort of set the stage for where we're all coming from. Uh, for me, uh, I never, I grew up, Always surrounded my closest friends have always been into wrestling I would never sort of watch it on my own But I would have absolutely no problem watching it with other people like I wouldn't want to change the channel or anything I'm, I'm down to watch it when I'm with other people, but I never sort of followed it on my own and I've Had people in my life my entire life that have been into wrestling. So I have knowledge Throughout wrestling from the 80s up until now, probably a little bit more. Probably the 80s and 90s, I have probably a bit more. But thanks to Zach, I still have a bit more knowledge nowadays. Um, but that's that's why I say through because that's where my fandom has always been sort of tertiary, sort of attached to somebody else type of thing. Um, but I've always enjoyed it. Uh, Diallo, where where's your peaks and your valleys uh, of wrestling? Like when when did you start? What's your peak? When did you sort of phase out of it and everything?
3: Uh, I think I first kind of discovered it, like, uh, early 80s, but it was uh, where we were, where I grew up, uh, AWA used to come on, um, and I would watch that, but not really religiously. It was just something that kind of came on Saturdays, and I would casually watch it. Um, And then, you know, I, I started to see, like, Hulk Hogan showing up with Cindy Lauper at the Grammys and that kind of stuff. and, and I knew that like, all that stuff was going on. I Remember watching Rocky 3. So I knew I knew who all the wrestlers were and Jackyard Dog and blah blah blah. Cartoon came on. I would watch it a little bit. Um, but then there was the I think I've talked about it before. there was the magical day. I think I'd, I'd been watching Galaxy High um, and it was a, a rerun that day. so I just like I flipped the channel. And it was wrestling Um, and it was the it was the day I like I think I literally almost turned it right when um, it was Piper's Pit and Hogan, uh, Andre turned on Hogan. And I just remember my mind being blown. (laughs) And I was just like I was so from that moment, I was just like so into it. So that was like 87, I think. And then from from about 87 till like like the early 90s. Like really early 90s, like 90, 91, um, I was pretty religious about watching it. I went away to college and I just couldn't watch it. So I only got to see it like in the summertime. Um, And then kind of faded away, but I always paid attention. Um, But then in the mid 90s, uh, when um, New World Order started popping, I I got back into it. and I I watched all that go on, faded away again um but then uh one of my friends watched it a lot so um that was right it was right around the time when stone cold and the rock and stuff were coming back so i would watch it with him a lot um and then after that i kind of like i haven't really watched it very much since then like the early 2000s um but then yeah meeting zach and you know watching like going going over and watching some events and stuff i'm you know, I see like I like he he uh, introduced me to the CM Punk. And so I kind of got into that era a little bit. And uh, what's Kofi? Kofi. Uh, what's his name? Kingston, Yeah, Kofi Kingston, Yeah, Kofi yeah. Kingston and that that crew. I started to watch a little bit. But yeah, I don't I don't necessarily watch anymore. I watch a, I listen to a lot of uh, like shoot videos and descriptions of stuff that actually happened back uh in the era that I used to watch, uh, Jim Cornette like, has a podcast and he talk, tells a bunch of stories. And so I listen to that stuff a lot, just kind of like that, like this is what actually happened part. So um, that's kind of where I'm with it now. So a real roller
0: coaster for you, kind of like ups and downs throughout your entire life, uh, pretty much. And... Uh, You mentioned the mid 90s era of wrestling. That's probably the closest I've ever gotten to me being, me personally being actively into it. Um, Because one of my things back in the 80s was I'd, you know, I'd go over to Luke's house or something on the weekends and watch it with him. But back in the day, remember, it was like a name guy versus a no name jobber, you know, and that's how every match was. And then the 90s happened. It's kind of like when I repaid attention, I'm like, every match is amazing because every match is a a guy, a name versus a name. And, and I kind of liked that. Uh, but yeah, uh, Zach, what's, um, yours has pretty much been the same your entire life, right? Pretty, pretty solid.
1: Pretty solid. I mean, I've only up until recently kind of tapped out on wrestling, uh, just because I felt like the really the pandemic is what changed it for me. But my love started, I think, when my mom bought me the Remco AWA action figures back in the day, and uh, because they were the same size as He-Man guys, and I started getting into uh, pro wrestling that way. I would see the the clamshell boxes at the video store of, you know, the original War Games matches back in the early '80s, Starcade. Um, You know, the early early WrestleManias one and two and then WrestleMania three obviously was my big gateway into the explosion of loving wrestling, watching the storylines building up on superstars on the weekend like Diallo would watch. And uh, but then I would watch, you know, the other territories like NWA, AWA, WCCW, UWF, Florida Championship Wrestling, because those would be on syndicated networks like tv 44 in the bay area or um uh channel 26 right diallo was that another yeah, channel ch- in the bay channel 26
3: area? had uh there was like a super obscure one that was called c i think it was a cmc wrestling or something i might i might be saying the music the music video channel but they used to have like a like a super obscure wrestling uh, promotion on 26 as well yeah yeah
1: yeah, they did. And I think ESPN also uh, aired like AWA and USWF and like, all yeah, all these different smaller territories that eventually got absorbed by the WWF, later WWE. So, yeah, I mean, I ate, breathed and slept wrestling um, To much to the, the chagrin of like alienating friends at school that weren't into wrestling like I was you know, watching pay-per-views by myself or having people come over and they're like, this is stupid. And like, then why are you here? You know? like So
3: people really, uh, said uh, but that I to never, you?
1: I had some friends come over like this. is So lame. And I'm like, then why are you here? Like you knew what this was. This is a wrestling party. You had lame uh, Sean friends, Duns, man. Yeah. Yeah. I know, dude, I I know. I have some friends. Dean is uh, a guy who listens to the show religiously, and he's always chiming in like, I'm so sorry you went through that. I'm like, it's okay, man. I I got through it.
0: I have never had anything but 100% of a blast of a time at any wrestling party I've ever been to, any pay-per-view I've ever been to. When I watch wrestling with my friends, I always have a damn good time. I don't know how you can't have a good time.
1: Well, I will say I, wrestling was my best friend when I was a kid. It oh was my really the, god! Uh, yeah, it was really, it was really the thing that I like That's, immersed. No, my,
2: <laughs> no, not something you should announce. I,
1: I mean, it was like it, it was like you know, guys, how you are with comic books, yeah. where you just like yeah. you know, the comic books were always there; they never let you down. Wrestling was always there; it never let me down.
2: It, it's okay.
1: No, but I. Uh, it's real
2: to me. Damn
1: it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, on one level, I can totally relate to those dudes because it's like I was full on immersed. And so now my love is passing it down to my son, but also the historical lore. Like Diallo and I would, he'd come over and we watched the documentaries that they made of these guys. And that's the more fascinating stuff now to me than what the product is currently on television. I still watch it from time to time, like WrestleMania, I'll watch this year. But um, yeah, I mean, I grew up eating and sleeping and breathing that stuff. I just I just love it. I love it.
0: And so for this episode, so last year we covered um a cartoon, the the rock and wrestling cartoon. We covered uh tag team, right? And yep. then we covered what was that comedy, the sitcom, Learning the Ropes. Learning the, yeah, ropes. Learning the ropes. Yeah. So we kind of like danced around wrestling itself like wrestling proper so for yeah. this year we kind of put our heads together and well first off the guys <laughs> zach and diallo they come up with something a bit more you know focused and everything me i'm trying to figure out what to contribute and i've always been sort of fascinated by the Shockmaster thing <laughs> because it was funny as hell but you know i started learning the backstory about you know uh, um Fred Ottman and everything. And I'm like, Oh, I started to actually like him because he seems like a nice guy, but I'm going to be talking about the shock master because there's, there's not much I can really bring to the table, um, but I can discuss the things that that these guys are going to discuss because I watched. Uh, we all watched the same thing on on Peacock. So Diallo's uh, uh, going to be up first, and he's going to be talking Saturday night's main event, uh, which first aired October third, nineteen eighty seven, and this is the the event where basically um, Honky Tonk Man versus Randy Savage, and then kind of teams up, and then Hulk kind of comes out and everything. It's It's kind of a bit more not so obscure, but at the same time, because we were throwing things out, it's obscure to me. So I'm looking at, at this from a completely noob's point of view. So the fun thing is, everything's on Peacock, so I was able to actually watch this. And so I can actually discuss it. And then Zach's going to be talking about the war games, uh, uh, specific seg- segment war games at the WCW Wrestle War 1991. So we're not going to be talking about the whole event for either of them. Although I'm sure parts I will outside be. those matches will come up. Because Diallo, we say. are going to be talking about <laughs> we're going to be talking about Piledriver uh, for sure um and of course we're gonna be talking uh diallo about the uh macho man and hulk post match promo set that uh when i saw it i was like oh my god i know this i know this promo set like the back of my hand because it's become like sort of a meme and everything so yeah i'm excited to to dive into all of these things super excited so diallo can you tee up you know why you want to talk about this match and then you know Take us right into it and everything. Everything you want to talk about this uh, this Saturday night main
3: event. Yeah. So you know, I behind the scenes, I was uh, waffling a lot about what I wanted to talk about. So like, um, I, I could have talked about a billion different things, and I actually probably have a lot more um, respect, say, for like the W NWA era of wrestling um and wrestlers but i it was like you know i told you just on a personal level it was actually really hard for me to watch uh, nwa wrestling when i was growing up because uh, where i lived it um it only came on like in the on the San Jose tv station and we could only get that signal at nighttime <laughs> clear clear <laughs> clear enough for me to watch it Um, On those on the weekends, I would get to watch it. And then um, there was a channel called TV 58 that had some more NWA stuff. And that was one that like it came on, it was like really snowy. So anyways, I couldn't like I used to record the WWF ones. But I and I would watch them over and over and over again. But the NWA wrestling, I would just watch it that one time. And I probably never seen them again, even though I remember. All the instances and stuff from it, so it was it was a little bit harder for me to say. But anyways, this particular moment I think had like it has like a great impact. It had like on me kind of emotionally, and as well as I think like when when I look at like the history of wrestling and like the ups and downs and stuff, this was like a pivotal moment for uh, not just like the WWF, but for wrestling as a whole. Um. So just to kind of like tee up in the context of it was like maybe a year or two prior, uh, Macho Man had been the intercontinental champion. He lost the belt to Ricky Steamboat at WrestleMania 3, which to me is still one of the greatest matches in the history of wrestling. Um, And then like maybe like a week or two later, a month later, Ricky Steamboat dropped the title to Honking Tonk Man and the honky tonk man was like like the most hated <laughs> like he was a great heel like watching like watching this again yes. it was like i was like oh man he's so good like at being like bad guy and he and like he had the belt yeah. for a long time like it was like over a year yeah. he he held the belt which yeah. was it was crazy um and so macho man had started to like he he had always been he had always been a heel but he was he was sort of like for me, he was the precursor of what wrestling was uh, going to become Some like a decade later, where he still, like he never started to be like a, a face, but people were cheering for him and liking him, right?
0: Can I ask a noob question? Was that not common before Randy Savage? Meaning is Randy Savage one of the first heels that kind of
3: rose into such high popularity? Yeah. yeah, like in the WWF anyways. Yeah, it's like, yeah. And that, and, that, and that's why like I like the NWA and like later the WCW. I think I, when the WCW figured it out, they kind of went with their strengths and which was kind of what Macho Man had been, where it's like people like different people doesn't necessarily matter if they're good, a face or or a heel. So Macho Man was like a heel, but like people like he just had the heat. Right. And so, um, but he didn't necessarily, like, start acting like a good guy, per se. Um, But in that moment, in that match, he was going, trying to get back the Intercontinental title. And it just, like, he still was in that, like, gray space. Like, obviously, he was going against, like, the biggest heel of them all. But he still wasn't, like, on the side of the Angels at that point um and there was like some slow things that they did like he used to like go to the ring and elizabeth would uh like trail him but then all of a sudden she started to go in front of him so it was start, and he'd like bend the ropes to let her in so there was like little thing visual stuff like that to show that he was like kind of softening a little bit but he still had that edge you know so um so that was like the precursor up to that match it was a he was a, he wasn't necessarily a good guy but you know he had the heat. he was he was really popular. So so
0: him versus Honky Tonk Man is a heel versus
3: heel match then. I wouldn't yeah I mean it's like I said it wasn't quite like he was a heel. He just was like he would just he was just macho man. You know what I mean? Okay. Almost like an anti-hero ish at that yeah, point. Yeah, he's a little little like Wolverine, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, there wasn't anybody quite like macho. Really? There yeah, because everybody, or, or, or sense either.
3: Yeah, like everybody, so you know, especially yeah. in the WWF, I mean, you you saw it in the WCW and the ones we watched. It's like, you know, that you have like all your good guys and like all your bad guys, right? So, like, if one good guy's getting beat up, like all the other good guys run out and, you know, help out and all the bad guys, you know, so it, it was very, it was very much factions. Um, Major yeah. Man kind of, at the time, he kind of, was just kind of like floating in the middle of that. He didn't really get into one or other. I mean, at the, at that time, he was going up against mostly heels, but he still wasn't like, hey, I'm buddies with Jake the Snake. Like, he wasn't that kind of thing either.
1: And Jake, Jake, Jake is possibly another somewhat of a middle ground gray character, possibly. He's more of a lone wolf. Yeah, he definitely you know?
3: was. He definitely was. A solo Lobo, if you will. God, he was so good. Um, yeah. So he yeah. So that was kind of that was what was leading up to that, like over the course of months, you know, um, it had been af- after WrestleMania three, you know, had been like, what, six months since that. And that was that was pretty epic. You know, um, Hulk beat Andre. He Hulk was still in the midst of fighting all like Andre and like Bobby Heenan's band, the Bobby Heenan family crew. Um, and then it was like Macho Man was trying to get back to the intercontinental title. And he definitely had like again. He definitely had the heat. Like he was, his popularity was rising, like higher than ever. Um, and so yeah, it's uh, Saturday night's main events. Uh, I think there had been, I think one of them before he had gotten jumped or something or on Superstars. I don't, I don't remember what led up to that particular thing. But um, yeah, so it was the uh, Macho Man versus Honky Tonk and. Yeah, the rest was history.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so for those of us out there who haven't seen the match, can you give like a, a sort of an overview as to what happens and what sort of the main takeaway from it and everything like that. Yeah. And I mean, and then we can do like a general discussion about all kinds of notes that I have, you know, notes that like, for example, I will always love mean gene. That's, that's <laughs> one of my notes and I'm, I'm so happy I saw him. But yeah, for, for those out there who have not seen it and, and I'll list um, in the show notes, I'll list um, what episode, like how to find it on Peacock. Um, but I won't be able to probably post a link to it. So
3: yeah. So, um, I mean, it, it kind of, you know, uh, so Honky Tonk Man's manager was Jimmy Hart, Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, who's also another really great, uh, if you ever can catch him on a podcast or anything, is really like, is really great talker and um, really is like a really nice guy um, as well. Um But yeah. he, um, they... He, macho and Macho and um, Honky Tonk Man were fighting you know doing their regular thing and Jimmy Hart kept like kind of like jumping in the way um, and then I think like Jimmy gets knocked out by Macho yeah, yeah, he, goes yeah down. he goes down yeah, he's dead yeah. it's and gone so, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then uh, you know, and all of a sudden uh, the Hart Foundation comes out and like you know so they kind of take care of uh, Jimmy Hart and then they come back out and so they're outside um kind of watching over one thing comes uh, one thing happens after the next honky or macho man's about to win and then the heart foundation jumps in and starts beating up a macho disqualification the belt can't change hands on a disqualification or count out so they start just beating him up whatever heart foundation is our <laughs> foundation is holding macho man this was like a classic moment and a honky tonk yeah. man gets out his guitar he like measures them up he's gonna hit him on the side on the other side and he's like no he's gonna hit him on the head makes his really mean face and you know vincent is like commenting on it and then he just whacks him on the top of the head and that you know 1987 tv that was actually like Like, I mean, that was I mean, I said when I was watching it the other day, I was like, man, that's a legit hit. Like kind of saw Macho Man kind of tense up and close his eyes when that was coming. So he was bracing for this (laughs) guitar to hit him on the head. And then on the meanwhile. Oh, yeah. And then like uh, Honky Tonk Man had like tossed down Miss Elizabeth, like pushed her pretty hard. Yeah. Um, And then she's like she didn't know what to do. So she's like she goes away to the back. Whatever. And they're still beating up a matchman, man. And all of a sudden she comes out and she's leading Hulk Hogan. <laughs> and like my mind just blew up because there had no there had been no connection between the two at all. And there was no, no like I like I didn't like I never thought that that would happen. Like you're used to. You're used to that happening. Like somebody gets beat up and then like somebody comes running out and usually there's like a connection between the two or if there's no connection, like you know, okay, there's gonna be some kind of alliance. But in that case, I just never in a million years would have thought it would be Hulk Hogan. So and the thing that's like kind of important about it was what we what we were just talking about before about the anti hero and he was still a heel. Hulk Hogan came out and you know, fought off the Heart Foundation and the Honky Tonk Man or whatever. But then they <laughs> then, you know, they were all riled up and running around the middle of the ring. Macho Man and Hulk Hogan, they were back to back and they kind of backed into each other. <laughs> and then they turned around and they kind of squared off. So that's to kind of shows you that like they st- like there wasn't this like alliance between them. And then they had the, you know, the the great moment where like Vince McMahon, just like his voice and, you know, he was again, listening to this like there's I mean, there's so much I could talk about, but it just like the, the the pageantry and the stage and everything about it, the presentation was great. But it was the meeting of the madness and the mania, and then their arms kind of like slowly go together, and then they shake hands. <laughs> Vince McMahon's like, "Yes, yes!" And it's just the music, like whole Macho Man's music starts going off, and they're cheering. I was just like, "What just happened? <laughs> this is great!" <laughs> yeah, and then you know, that that kicked off like a maybe. A, I don't even think that alliance lasted like quite a year. I don't think. I know they they were like they and a couple other people grouped up for Survivor Series. It was like, oh yeah, that SummerSlam it was the first SummerSlam, where um, it was Hulk Hogan and Macho Man versus who was it? Uh, was it Andre and Million Dollar Man? Maybe
1: it was because that this this led into this gave Macho the rub for WrestleMania Four, which was the yeah, tournament, the tournament yeah. right? And where Macho won and then macho it was macho and hogan but macho was the champ and of course he gets all paranoid yeah, yeah. and shit
3: which like had some shades of like real life apparently
1: well yeah macho was a real paranoid yeah.
3: dude it was like and that was that's the other fascinating part about wrestling is how much like the intertwining between reality and their fiction and right um, but yeah so that that kind of set the stage and you know macho like he turned he actually went like pretty hard villain for a while after he uh, like he was at odds with Hulk Hogan again and he had a new manager sensational Sherry and he was the macho king and uh, yeah
1: I don't think he turned face again until he had his retirement match with warrior at Wrestlemania 7 maybe and and then he became a commentator but he was like a, a, a face commentator until he went to wcw yeah. Right.
3: so yeah that was uh that was uh, the match and uh, like i said that um saturday night at, you know at the time again like i think i p- i picked w like wwf like you know there's a there's a big aspect to it where it was like kind of like a cartoon or something um but it was the most like it had the most pop culture cred of everything and so especially at the yeah. time we didn't have like a ton of outlets to watch stuff, so this it was actually on broadcast TV. It wasn't like on cable, which was again cable was a barrier for me because we didn't have cable. So that was like WWF was the only thing I could like really watch religiously um, until like later when I would visit my grandparents and they had cable, so then I could watch all the uh, a Great American Bash and all that stuff in the summer for yeah. the NWA and WCW stuff. But uh, yeah, so it was like the uh, every like sat- once a month on Saturday that has Saturday night's main event, and you know it was like the the big card. So it was like you got to see the good matches without actually going to the events, um, and all like you know when you watch Superstars of Wrestling and Wrestling Challenge, is like you said, they, it was always like them fighting the jobbers. Um, like the scrubs, you know, basically, and they might have like one good match you wanted to see, but Saturday Night's main event was like all like things that would be on the card that you'd want to see. So yeah, it was a it was a great moment, and it was like you know set up so much stuff down the road, and eventually, um, I, the the other thing I was gonna I was thinking about talking, but I didn't have much to talk about. It was uh was when you know Honky Tonk Man you know, like. Some it was at summerslam when he he lost the belt to uh finally lost the belt to ultimate warrior finally was another great that was another great mind blowing moment uh, but yeah but the, it was uh so so much stuff i could talk about but that's it <laughs>
0: <laughs> zach what uh what about you buddy were you did you see this in real time this oh time? yeah okay
1: yeah, I mean, I I remember when it happened. It, it all got brought back. My one little criticism about the Peacock and WWE, and then I understand, it's it's a it's an age old criticism. But because they don't have the licensing to the original music, they they pipe in sometimes uh, generic songs, which is really lame. However, that doesn't taint the product. Um, Diablo's right. The commentary, you know, it's really interesting. WWF their style of commentary was so dramatically different than nwas or uh, or other territories other territories tended to have more of a like play-by-play legit kind of thing you know where they were more technical like gordon soley who is who's a legendary uh, interviewer announcer uh jim ross obviously which we'll get to in a minute but but WWF was like larger than life. Everything was huge and, and and you could make or break somebody based on the commentators commentating on him. Right. So if Vince McMahon is blowing up this guy in a good way, uh, it's going to make him seem even bigger and better than he actually is. And so it, it was bringing all those memories back. I forgot how uh, I didn't forget, but I, I, I was reminded of how, um, Meek, they made Elizabeth seem, you know, and how timid, and like, and like she wouldn't. It's like she was almost like a deaf girl, you know, where she wouldn't talk practically. And uh Macho has a promo with Mean Gene backstage before the match begins, and it is a gold promo. Like that's a promo that you could play without the video, and it it's it's amazing where he's talking about the danger zone, and it it. I I implore anyone to look up the danger zone promo from this Saturday night's main event because it is gold he he personified what it is to be a wrestler you know you talked about uh how hard it was to vocally do the things you did but these guys like a lot of the stuff was rehearsed it, it was uh you know it's scripted but still like they're acting their asses off and it's not just verbally but they're physically doing the stuff yeah. so they're they're telling a story and macho was you know he Diallo could go on and on about this too, but Macho was, he he would plan his match out from bell to bell basically, and he was like a technical master when it came to that stuff. So what he did in the ring was always perfection in my opinion. Um, but you know, and then Honky Tonk is like yeah, he's the quintessential heel. He was that heel. He's like old school heel where he's just a piece of crap. Like the guy just is the terrible wrestler. He's really a terrible wrestler. Um, but, you know, the guy, the guy who honky, the guy who plays honky talk, man, he's a legit nice guy. It, it's no offense to him. He does what he does well. But he's not a good wrestler. And it drove me nuts as a kid because I'm like, I wanted to see a good wrestler with that belt around their waist because the IC title meant something back then. It still means something now, but it went through phases. Intercontinental Championship uh, was not as prestigious in the mid-90s. But, um, man, it brought back all the feels. And it reminded me of how Hulk Hogan, you know, regardless of who he is now, back in the 80s, he was the Michael Jordan of wrestling. He was the guy he was the he was the faceplate of the of the business. So you automatically associated, like you associated Mike Tyson with boxing, you associated Wayne Gretzky with hockey. Like he was that guy for wrestling fans, whether you like it or not.
3: I actually don't think wrestling would be what it is today without Hulk Hogan. Like like, I mean, it's, it it goes beyond totally... just wrestling fans. It was just like he was like a pop culture phenomena. Like people that don't know wrestling, they still knew who he was. And if he wasn't who he was at that time, and it was like a kind of like a lightning in a bottle thing as Vince McMahon was very integral in, in that. But it was just with I don't I don't know if he didn't exist. I don't think wrestling would be what what it became.
1: No, I I agree. I totally agree and you can't, you know, for anybody that's like, well, but who he is now. And again, I'll stress it, it, it is back then. I'm not talking about who he is now and what we found out later on. Who he is, yeah, I totally agree. Wrestling would not be what it is if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan. And if you if anyone's wondering if Hulk Hogan can actually wrestle, go look up his wrestling matches that he did in Japan, which are legit badass matches because the guy can go. Uh he just wasn't but Vince wanted to keep him in a certain he never wanted him to get injured, and if you're not, you're not going to get injured if you have three moves. Right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, anyways, it brought back all the feels. I loved it. I could watch wrestling twenty four seven. I could eat it, drink it, poop it, all that good stuff. So, <laughs> how about you? So, Corey, did was this was did you re, do you remember watching this on television as a kid?
0: Uh, no, I, I never saw this particular match um, as a kid, but I realized quickly that I had seen pieces of this, um, especially uh, the promo, the, the final promo between Macho Man and Hulk after they've sort of done their ta- team-up and everything, and now they're talking about, it all not if
2: the world's ready for this, you know what <laughs> I mean?
0: And they're trying to shake each other's hands, and it's become sort of a meme and everything, but I'm like, you know, I'm tickled because I'm like, oh, I get to see where this came from. Um, but, you know, that aside, you know, watching it f- pretty much for the first time in 2023 – It was such a fun match to watch. You know, I even popped when when Miss Elizabeth came out with the Hulk. I didn't know it was coming. I mean, again, this is all new to me. So like I'm sitting on the edge of the bed because we only have Peacock in the bedroom uh, PlayStation and I have not logged in on the the new one so I was watching in the bedroom and I stood up I was like oh my god <laughs> it's the, you know Hulkmania you know I mean I fucking
2: popped Hulkmania horror, man, you know
0: Hulkmania
2: <laughs> hey everybody
0: <laughs> and I you know I thought it was great and I mean. This is this is you know nostalgic wrestling for me. I know all these guys mostly from the cartoons and the toys and and all that kind of stuff. But I know Honky Tonk Man. I know uh, Sika. You know, <laughs> my God, that was so racist. Um, but like i recognize recognized that guy. You know, <laughs> Mean Gene Okerlund. Oh my God, like, you know, we talk about Hulk Hogan being the face of wrestling weirdly not gonna lie mean gene to me is the face of wrestling it's just he's so i'm comforted by him he reminds me of my childhood i always liked my i always liked his voice and everything
1: macho got him to break character too when he's doing that promo because he said i forget the exact where he laughed or
0: something at him he's like that's not funny brother you know or something like that (laughs)
1: yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. what's so great about it because because yeah like there's he's been one of the few guys to really shake mean gene yeah, <laughs> I can see Gene is the he's the man. He's the backstage man.
0: As a first time viewer in 2023, I thought this match was a lot of fun from 1987. And like I said, I, I didn't even see Hulk Hulk Hogan coming. So that was awesome for me.
1: And by the way, I didn't mean uh, well, to interrupt you. Did you notice that um, didn't Macho have a uh, Jimmy Hart? figure in his hand too i
0: saw that he went to bite it or something but yeah I, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> the big ass ljn figures yeah. oh my God. i love those figures but well i'll get to that when i talk when we talk about my
0: i did have a question though um first off who was the other heart guy uh not brett the hitman Hart. who was the other one
3: that was jim the anvil Nightheart. he um <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 he uh he was great. The Hart Foundation was like my favorite WWF tag team for quite a while. And then Same. that transferred into my love of Bret Hart, who to me is like, you know, my all time favorite wrestler. So
0: my next question then was, is Jimmy Hart related
3: to Bret the Hitman Hart or was it just a no. g- gimmick? No, I was, it was actually kind of funny. Cause as I was watching that, I was like, oh, that just kind of was a happy little accident. I think they just, uh, Oh, well, so like
0: Brett the and Hart's name was already that. And Jimmy Hart's name was already that. And they were like, Oh wait, why don't we combine these guys?
3: Well, I don't know about Jimmy Hart, Zach, you probably know more, but like Brett Hart, his, his, his family is like a wrestling family. And yeah, the Hart um,
1: foundation. Yeah. Neidhart is yeah.
3: Yeah. And then like a British bulldog, uh, Davy boy, he like married he's like he married a uh, Brett's sister or something like that. So he was a part yes. of that family too. And um Jim the Anvil just you know, he had night heart was in his name and that's why they got paired up, I guess. You know, when yeah, in Vince, like, Vince's uh, magic yeah. uh carny carnival brain, he was like, You guys are together and then you guys, you all had the heart, name Heart and they become the Heart Foundation, so it, yeah. You mentioned Davy Boy because he's in my segment that I'm going to be talking about last, <laughs>
0: um, and that's and he's the British Bulldog. Yeah. But I was watching it, and I was reading about it, and they called him Davy Boy, and I was like, but I thought that's the British Bulldog. So yeah. I was actually right. I thought that uh, Wikipedia was steering me wrong, but I was actually correct. Yeah. Um, well, he
1: he was in the tag team of the British Bulldogs, but the other guy, Dynamite Kid, um, he – I think he suffered a lot of brain damage and yeah, he he's, was in he bad actually, shape for a
2: while. Yeah,
1: if you look up what he, he's kind of fallen on hard times and uh, lost his mind a little bit. Oh. So uh, yeah, but dynamite dynamite kid was very much like Chris Benoit in his, his abilities. Okay. Actually, Chris Benoit cited him as, as one of his influences back in the day. Cause dynamite kid, wrestled the exact same way mm. Chris Benoit wrestled with that flying headbutt. Yeah, you do enough headbutts, it's going to cost some
3: brain damage. Yeah. I mean, he was <laughs> yeah. known for that. Hey, off the top rope, he would like do that drop or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Was...
1: That's exactly what Chris Benoit yeah. took from him too. So, uh, well, just, uh,
0: looking over my notes, I don't really have anything uh, else left other than, um, poor miss Elizabeth was definitely, uh, <laughs> treated very poorly by Vince McMahon in the commentary, like constantly. Just constantly, uh, uh, Vince McMahon was kind of a piece of shit. By wait, by,
3: by Vince, I like I missed that. Like, do you mean by Bob? Like, was it or is it Jesse? Was it Jesse or Bobby that was doing the announcing of that? It was Bobby. It was Bobby. Yeah. I thought yes. it was
0: set it up. I thought it was Vince
3: McMahon called her useless, but may, it may
0: have been. No, uh, that was that was probably Bobby. The Bobby. Brain. That was uh, like that
3: was actually a feature, and that, you know, another that, watching this was so fascinating because I I, I mean I hadn't watched this in this particular. I mean I haven't watched Saturday Night's main event in forever. Um, but like, wh- like knowing what I know more about like production and that kind of stuff, I was like, I was like, like he, he definitely put together a package and a product. And, um, I would just happened to be looking at this thing just a few days ago. It was, um, there's like a political commentator show I listened to. They had Jesse Ventura on. And Jesse was talking about what led him to be an announcer, and he was according to him, he was one of the first like announcers of his ilk's so to speak, where like he um, played the heel, announcing because that hadn't really been done before. And then um, again, like Vince McMahon just brought all these things into to to wrestling that hadn't really been you know um, done before. He broke away from a lot of the past. But then Bobby Heenan, I always loved it when Bobby Heenan was doing announcing because he just like he like kinda doubled down on that and he was like so vicious. But like Vince McMahon, he was so like like (laughs) just like every everything every all the good guys did were just so perfect and so good. And then and then like and (laughs) Jesse and Bobby, it's like whatever the bad guys did, they like they you know they would make excuses and it was great to hear and it also informed to me when i listen to politicians now like i definitely like and i made a joke about it but i was serious like when i hear politicians cover for stuff that you like you something happened and you know it was wrong and you watched them cover for it i just like i think back to when i used to watch wrestling and i watch jesse like the guy a you know, guy like hit another guy over the head with a pipe and Jesse's like, oh, that was legal in Japan. That's okay. You know, that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, and Jesse actually talked on that show. They had brought up Donald Trump and Donald, they said Donald Trump had actually learned a lot of what he did later from Vince McMahon because he, you know, had appeared in wrestling and that kind of stuff. So anyway, um, not a commentary on like like politics but it just that whole yeah. showmanship thing um was really fascinating yeah. so yeah so it was, i think it was it was bobby that that you were i think that you okay. were hearing um being just he, terrible. he was
0: he was pretty brutal he yeah. was pretty fucking brutal man yeah <laughs> he called her useless at one point but uh my 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 last note though i know he didn't win but man macho man's fine elbow sort of the end of the uh the match was just a fucking thing of beauty to watch. Yeah. It was just amazing. His like his pose. He
3: looked like a goddamn superhero. Yeah, man, he was fucking amazing. He was great. Like him and and again, like him and um, Ricky Steamboat. They used to just they used to just go at it like. And um, I think that's uh, Zach. I it was some years ago. We watched the documentary on I. I don't know if it was Ricky or Macho Man or whatever, but they talked about yeah, that. How they they talked about how they would coordinate the matches and how just how set, how yeah. technical macho man actually was and like the yeah. high he brought that to the public i think he brought that like high flying sort of uh um style to wrestling he did that he he used to do that uh hammer drop off the top ropes too and some other stuff that he would yep. do like on that side of the ring and it was it was so great to watch It's so great.
1: Well, and him and Steamboat are two of the most uh, technically savvy wrestlers. And, you know, Steamboat could go with anybody in the ring and make him look amazing. So if you got two guys that can do that for other people and they're facing each other, then it's going to be a gold match.
3: Some of those matches between Steamboat and Ric Flair were just like, phew. Oh my yeah
1: god. i mean that's another guy too he can make anybody yeah. look good but we'll talk yeah. about that in a
2: uh, well, we got some Ric flair
0: coming <laughs> up uh uh we got a very bloody and a very terrible haircutted uh yeah, 1991 Ric yeah, rick flair story for that too like my god is he, he has like a haircut of a five-year-old blonde boy it's, <laughs> it's wild um but we are, we are gonna talk- get into this. Yeah, we're gonna get into this. We're gonna be talking about uh, war games at the WCW Wrestle War 1991. Uh, Zach, tell us about this one, baby. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just want to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages.
2: Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human. Something always watching. Something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide? If you were haunted for seven winters alone. Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone, a dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.
1: And now back to the show. So this aired in February of '91. Um, there's a lot of little backstories here. So the the War Games match itself has been around since the mid to '80s, I believe. The first one might have been uh, the Horsemen versus the Road Warriors and Dusty Rhodes, and. Um, and maybe Nikita Koloff. I, 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 I got to go back and fact check that. <laughs> We're not talking about that match. I'm just saying that the War Games started a long time ago. Basic concept of the War Games match is it's two wrestling rings right next to each other with a cage that surrounds them with a top on the cage. Um, so it, it, it's two teams, four on four, and uh, one, one, two wrestlers started out and then a coin is tossed after about a five-minute period. And uh, whoever wins the coin toss can send their next representative in and becomes a two-on-one. And they get an odds advantage until the, all four wrestlers from both sides are in the ring. And then it became, becomes a, essentially a submit or give up match at the end uh, to determine who the winner is. War 91 was, you know, at this point in the game, um, uh, WCW, which was originally NWA, uh, had, had rebranded, try, trying to do new things. Uh, I believe Jim heard was the head of the company at the time. And he was, you know, over the course of the past couple of years was doing stupid gimmicks like the ding dongs, which are these wrestlers that would come in the ring with bells on their bodies and they get the shit kicked out of them. Bells would be flying everywhere. Um, and he was taking guys that were established and shaking them up. And one person he shook up was Ric Flair. He had Ric Flair cut all his hair off and at one point wanted to give him an earring. And Rick was like, what are you doing? You know, this is according to Ric Flair's interviews that he's done on his documentaries saying that he was totally adamantly against cutting his hair, uh, but he did it because he was told to do it like a like a good soldier but this match was uh sting who was the top baby face of the company at the time with the steiner brothers which were probably the top tag team at the time and brian pillman who flying brian pillman <laughs> who later became loose cannon brian pillman in the mid 90s uh when he turned heel in wwf and had a very uh cool run as like the, uh, with stone cold steve austin back in the day but when he first came into the company as a rookie, you know, he was a former Cincinnati Bengal and uh, that was his gimmick that, that he was like this little guy, but he had a never, never give up attitude. Well, his shorts
0: were yeah. patterned after the Bengals yeah. as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was totally on purpose. So uh, there was the four of them versus which was originally supposed to be the four horsemen at the time, Ric Flair, Barry Windham, Arn Anderson, and the new addition to the horseman, Sid Vicious, they have gone through many um horseman incarnations throughout the years. This was one that didn't last very long, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But Aaron Anderson had injured himself, so they had Larry Zabisco fill in for Aaron Anderson. Why? <laughs> well, it's it's kind of random why he did. It was like he just fit the bill. And Zabisco. Is an AWA World Heavyweight Champion. He was like the name. He was the face of AWA for a while. Um, I've never even he's a legit, heard of him. He's a legit good wrestler. He just, you know, wasn't as over as some of the. One other of the guys. Zach. One of um, the
3: One of the matches I used to watch in AWA. I remember back before I really was in wrestling. I think it was Larry Zbysko. He like. Or uh, was it Kurt Henning? He punched Kurt Hennig with a roll of quarters or something to win the championship?
2: Yeah. I think yeah, so. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Because Kurt, I think, ultimately won it from Nick Bockwinkle or, won, won, yeah. or the other way around. But yeah, he had matches with Kurt Henning before Kurt Henning became Mr. Perfect. Um, bloody matches, too. But this match, the kind of the, this is an interesting story. So, um, you, you have to go back to 1989 when uh, Ric Flair, um, the horsemen were disbanded at this point. Ric Flair was having a feud with Terry Funk and um, Sting came in to assist. And the horsemen started getting put back together. And Sting was, an, was a new member of the horsemen. But then he became the number one contender of the world title, which was being held by Ric Flair at the time. And the Horsemen said, you can't do that. You can't challenge one of your own. So they kicked him out of the horseman on a Clash of Champions uh, event. Clash of Champions were basically free pay-per-views that uh, the NWA would put out instead of the monthly pay-per-views that the WWF was doing in between their other pay-per-views. And they were good. The early Clash of Champions are great. I highly recommend you go back and watch those if you're a fan of this brand. Um, so they kicked Sting out in this, in this Clash. Sting comes back later that night to basically take revenge on the Horsemen, who are now heels at this point because they, they beat down Sting. But Sting injured his leg in the process. And he was tapped to become the next world champion. He was going to wrestle Ric Flair and win in, at Starcade, but he couldn't, which was like the later pay-per-view that, that year. This is like mid-89, uh, fall of 89. Gets injured. He's out for like six months, right? So now we're into 1990. Sting finally comes back wrestles rick flair in the summer of 1990 wins the championship at the great american bash it's a big deal carries the title for a while flash forward to january of 1991 rick flair beats sting at a house show which is a not televised event for the world title and wins the world title so now he's the world champion why wasn't that but televised because there was a dispute, that there was a rebranding going on. They, wanted, they changed over from NWA to WCW. So he was now the WCW champion. And there was so much backstage politics going on of who should win the belt, who should not win the belt, when they should win the belt. So they just had Sting drop it at a house show, which is bullshit, right? In this time, the American dream Dusty Rhodes, who was in the WWF with his polka dot gimmick, comes back to WC now WCW and becomes the head booker of WCW, which is basically the matchmaker, right? The producer of the matches and starts kind of trying to do like relive some of these solid storylines that were working earlier in the previous year with Sting in the whole contingency. So Sting's battling the horsemen, but Sting needs a crew. So he brings in the, steiner brothers and they need another guy they bring in pillman right uh a month before wrestle war and i'm sorry if i'm going on too long a month before wrestle like war this.
3: uh it yeah, i know <laughs> i'm it a,
1: a month nice uh, a month before wrestle war there's another clash of champions scott steiner who's in the steiner brothers with the long mullet and no beard Uh, was tapped to potentially be the new face of the company, a new baby face, uh, as a single wrestler. And he wrestles Ric Flair to a uh, 25-minute draw for the world title at a clash. And it's a really great uh, match. And it proves yet again that Ric Flair could get in the ring with anybody and make them look good. But Scott Steiner was not a very good talker on the mic and and he just he was better in a tag team, in my opinion.
0: Uh, sorry, can I divert real quick? Um Because yeah, yeah. I've always liked the Steiner brothers because I was always a big fan of the Frankensteiner. Um, but later in the late '90s, which Steiner went on to become the completely jacked monster was, with the metal with the metal helmet? Huh? That was Scott, Scott Steiner. Okay, so yeah, that's oh, Steiner. That was Scott. Okay, All right. got it. All right. Yeah,
1: he later became Big Big yeah. Papa Pump. That's Big and Papa then, Pump. Yeah, uh, yeah and uh, he had yeah, like a. Job, uh,
0: a chain mail mail, like sort of hood thing on and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. And his,
1: his promos, his promos during that time were really good, but as a face, he just, he needed help. You know, he's like the Hardy boys, the tag team uh, from the nineties and early thousands. They were better as a tag team because they, both of them were not good talkers anyways uh, until Matt Hardy reinvented himself. But this storyline was starting to culminate with this War Games match. This was supposed to be it. This was supposed to end the feud, right? The, the night before, uh, at a TV taping, Brian Pillman gets attacked by the Horseman and injures his shoulder, which was, goes into the storyline of the War Games. But Brian Pillman's such a fighter. He's such a scrappy young dog that he wants to get in the War Games first. But the whole build up to this was like Sting's like, I'm going in first to take on the Horseman, and you'll go in last. But when this match starts, Pillman goes in first, pisses off Sting, and the Steiners are like, "What are you doing?" And he gets in this match to face off with Barry Windham, who was the uh, one of the Horsemen.
0: So, so what you're and saying th- with everything so scripted and controlled, uh Flying Brian going in first was not a part of the plan.
1: It was a part of the plan because it was that that was not off script. Okay. Okay. But okay. you know, in storyline, storyline, they're like, they're what like, are like you well, doing? "Okay, but it's <laughs> yeah. not
0: off script though." Got it. Okay. No.
1: And and this and this is a perfect example of why Dusty Rhodes is a great storyteller because he's the booker for this, he's the matchmaker for this, he's the kind of producer of this match. He knows how to tell a story. Dusty Rhodes, you know, for for un PC term was a was a fat ass who like didn't look good in the ring, but man that guy could wrestle his ass off and he could talk his ass off. So it didn't matter what he looked like and people were like this guy's amazing, right? And then when he decides to kind of retire and goes behind the scenes, his mind is still there, like, for wrestling. He knows how to create drama in a match. And dare I say, this is one of the most dramatic War Games matches of all time because what it builds up is this tension is this young guy, Brian Pillman, goes in this match, and he's, like, kicking ass, but then he starts getting his ass handed to him, and you're like, oh, my God, they're going to kill this kid, right? And this match is super bloody, it is. I picked this match specifically for tonight because it is one of my favorite matches of all time. Um, because you've not, you've, you. It's not just the wrestlers in the ring, but it's the commentators. Jim Ross, right. who later became good old JR in the WWF or E, uh, was at his top game as a commentator. Like this is the opposite of WWF. This was like the technical commentator, right? And he could really create a story with his words. And Dusty Rhodes was the other commentator. And you know, he's fueling their both faces and they're and they're fueling the match with their words. Um, and you're seeing these guys just beat the hell out of each it's
2: other. It's bloody. R- it's a bloody it's
1: match. Bl- yeah, and it's legit bloody. They're rubbing their faces against the chain link fence, and if you've ever had that done to you, you know that it's gonna create some blood. <laughs> Flying Brian's
0: <laughs> biting on people's heads and getting blood in his <laughs> mouth. I'm like, holy but shit. shit.
1: Biting people's (laughs) heads. And then the only drawback to this whole thing was the, the fourth member of the horseman, the newest member, Sid Vicious, who's a mm-hmm. big motherfucker, guy's yep. like six foot five, six Fuck, foot six, fucking uh, saber tooth looking motherfucker mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, and he looks great. And you know what? He later went on to become Sid Justice, and then became Sid Vicious again in the WWF. And, and later went on uh, to break
0: his leg and poop himself <laughs> up in a match.
1: Pretty much, yeah. When he came back to WCW, <laughs> he um, he was super green, you know, and he was super new, and and he was calling out, uh, he was calling out moves like super out loud on camera you know he just did not know the business like all these other guys did arn anderson who was injured legit injured at the time outside you could tell he was pissed because fucking sid looks like a buffoon like you know i'm gonna slam you now and you're like oh my god dude you're on camera telling you right so um and then he he legit injures pillman by power bombing him Uh, head first on the ground drops him on his head which was not scripted he wasn't supposed to do it like that and they called the match early because of that
0: wow okay so So that was, that was real then at the end
1: yeah that that aspect of it that part of the match was legit like that pillman did injure himself they were gonna You know, they were allegedly they were going to have it kind of end with the horseman winning anyways, but maybe more dramatic. But they called it early on because they did not want Pillman to get they thought Mm. he broke his neck.
2: Yeah. I mean,
0: I mean, fucking Sid Vicious power slammed him twice and you can tell he's like already dead. And I sent you guys the that Simpsons, Jeff, like, stop, he's already dead. Well,
1: at one <laughs> you point, see his lifeless uh,
2: body just all God.
1: <laughs> at one point, Vicious throws him on the ground or throws him against the turnbuckle. And he says, oh, are you OK? Like out loud on camera, you know, because he's such an <laughs> idiot. Apparently he got into a knife fight with Arn Anderson soon after this. And like, uh knifed Darren Anderson a bunch of times and uh, you know there's a whole backstory to that too which you can I think it's on the Four Horsemen documentary that WWE put out. Wasn't his name Psycho Sid at one point so that kind of Yeah, yeah, you know and and so the match did not end the way it was supposed to but I think legitimately it was a beautiful match from beginning to end. Um, Scott like it showcases in this cage and you guys, everyone listening you have to picture this the cage is, uh, you know, the, the roof of the cage is maybe at eight feet, uh, so there's not much room from from the, turn, the top turnbuckle to the top of the roof of the cage. So these guys are using the cage; they're climbing it, they're throwing each other off. Dude, Scott Steiner is using his moves and like legit bench uh, Stings it's, bench sp- pressing people.
0: Stings bench pressing <laughs> Ric Flair against the top yeah. of the cage. Like, <laughs> you know, it's fucking and, wild
1: it's wild so I, I that's why I chose this match I, I want to open it up to you guys because I don't want to talk too much about it but um, but I I ate and slept NWA WCW at this time it was my favorite organization it was my fit my favorite characters I love the legit good versus evil the the four Horsemen kicking sting out of the horsemen storyline is so good it's so good so powerful um, because you you They had, they did such a great job at that time of you really believing they had, these guys were friends and then out of nowhere turning on each other the heel turns they did in this organization felt authentic. Uh, So did they they did in the WWF too, but, but it was just for me, this was everything and Flair's haircut sucks. That takes away from it. Zabisco being the match kind of sucks too. Uh, He's fine for what he does. But, you know, getting to see the Steiner's, like, wreck shop in this match. Well, Scott Steiner enough. had
0: a double uh, double clothesline that was fucking awesome in it.
1: Yeah, those guys just could go. Barry Windham had long hair. He cut yeah. his hair short, too. So th- this match started the downfall of Ric Flair's relationship with the company. Ric Flair would eventually leave the company in a couple months, go to the WWF with the world title, and that created a whole controversy. And Barry Windham ended up becoming uh, wrestling Lex Luger for the world title at uh, uh, Great American Bash later well, that year, like a new world title. Was
0: Barry Windham the the first guy that was also in with Flying Brian? Is that he Barry was Windham the first was. one? He, he got first, Windham, the first one to bleed,
3: I think, in that. Yeah, yeah
0: yes, he was. Yep, he, yeah. he was. So, he got. He got super bloody, and he was bloody for the rest of the match. And then Ric Flair got really fucking – I mean, his, his blonde hair was, like, red. <laughs> it was it was wild. These
1: crimson masks. Yeah, and if you want to look up old school Barry – Barry Windham was an original uh, horseman back yeah. in the day as well uh, with Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, and Ric Flair. Actually, no, Tully Blanchard. So, yeah, Ole Anderson left, and then Barry – went. he was, like, in the second faction of the horsemen. Uh, Before Lex Luger came in and uh, anyways, that's all a bunch of great history to go down on another podcast. But, um, but yeah, this, this war games match to me, like the way Jim Ross calls it, it's so dramatic and you really feel like there's legit danger going on because there kind of is. And and I love it, but I, but I'm opening it up to yeah. you guys. No,
0: I I love Jim Ross in that one, uh, Diallo. Because it's going to be the same flow as last time. I'll I'll just finish by talking about what it's like to watch it for the first time in 2023. But uh, did you watch this episode in real time, Diallo, or have you seen it before? I, so
3: I had never seen it before. Like I said, it was it was pretty difficult for me. Like I was either like it was running around. I was in college at the time, and I would come back in the summers and then i would be able to watch like the programming that they had it was like for me like the peak of the summer and um it still was like nwa i think at the time um was the the great american bash and it was basically like two months of just intense wrestling from like was it like july to august it was just it was great um yeah they took it on the road like that's that was like peak for me i didn't really see a lot of uh the you know, like I never I don't know. I just like I never was able to see a Starcade and all the other pay-per-view events. So I missed a lot of that stuff, um, but I used to watch it pretty re- like uh, Midnight Express is my other favorite tag team. Um, and um, yeah. Anyway, so I so I kind of missed I think I missed this era. Really, the one that we watched. Um, and it was fascinating for me. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty terrible. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I don't say that to like, because like, again, I love like i love the the all the the wrestlers and you know i'm watching people come in like oh there's barry wind you know all that stuff but i think that they were going through and i you talked about it a little bit earlier zach where like they were going through this transition i think at the time um and trying to like figure out what their brand was and i like i saw it like i had those thoughts before you meant that you said it whereas i could I was watching the screen and I could tell they didn't know who they were at that moment in time. So when we could you also tell that Ric Flair was uncomfortable with his haircut as well? (laughs) I mean, it's actually funny because I didn't know he had cut it at that point. I just remember him showing up in WWF with, with the Bob haircut. So I didn't, I didn't realize he had cut it before in uh, in uh, WCW. But it was you anyway, know, and it and it's not to say, and again, it's not for me to say. I'm not trying to say WWF was a superior product, um, because like I said, it's like I you know, I messaged you guys a little earlier. It's like like because like the WWF literally was a clown show at that time when they had like uh, yeah Dink and Doink and all that stuff, and they had uh, but larger than life superheroes, and they were kind of going off. They were starting to go on this area. It would take some years that they started really going off the rails with some of this stuff. But when I was watching the Saturday Night's Main Event, which it was interesting because it was it was like that was 87 and this was 91. And again, I, I was really noticing just how in that moment when they were doing the Meeting of the Madness and the Mania, I started to pay attention to the cameras and the camera angles and how they were cutting and they were doing really – like close-ups and they were getting all the stuff to capture the story and the drama, right? And but when I was watching all I watched that entire pay-per-view, I could tell that it wasn't ready for TV yet. It was that match so like WWF did their steel cage matches and like the steel cages was always like the fence, right? But then the WWF was like, Well we're gonna we're gonna have this you know, the the cage that they had with the big red bars and you could like basically you could see into the ring. And that was geared for television rather than people showing up in person, my thought was and so when i was watching the wcw event that's i was like yeah this is really like they don't get that people are like millions can potentially be watching and they were still building the event for just the people in the arena so when you had so you bring up sid vicious right and he was giving all of the like you could hear him like giving all the commands well part of part of that was because they had the steel cage which was the fence and so they had to put the cameraman inside the ring because they couldn't do it from outside and so the cameras were right on top of the wrestlers and that's why you could i mean obviously he was over the top of what he was doing but it was even worse because the cameras were right on top of them and they just weren't able to capture there was um there was a match that was earlier with um I'm sorry I'm ranting about how bad. It, I'm sorry Zach but um <laughs> I, I can see hey, that I, don't Zach think it's, become, I I
1: totally disagree with you that it's ter- it's not a terrible match but it it, it I Yeah it, no you know, it, wasn't, it's all good. it wasn't it was it wasn't the it's match
3: it was the presentation of the, the and what I'm saying is like there was a product that the WWF they, they, he understood that it was like a product, and I think the WCW at that time was still figuring that out. And they figured it out, like because like they like they figured it out, and they blew up, and it was like larger than life. But there was a match earlier with the uh, when Ron Simmons and um, Hacksaw or yeah,
1: oh Doom. So. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and they were fighting the Freebirds, free birds. Uh, who we know uh, we know and love them as the opening part of Highlander, the first movie. Um. Yes, of course. <laughs> but uh, like, uh, who was it? Like Butch uh, Butch Reed accidentally punched Ron Simmons, or vice versa. I don't remember. Um, and the Freebirds yeah. won, and they were like going off screen, and the camera was following the Freebirds. But then, like, you hear I could t- Dusty was like. he was he kept saying like oh there's something going on in the ring I don't know what's happening like because he was like he was trying to he was trying to get them to put the camera into the ring because that's where the real drama was happening but the camera was following the freebirds walking down back down the aisle back so you didn't see like I didn't see what actually happened I saw the aftermath where one I could tell one of them had punched the other one um but it was like the wwf at that like they would have been all over that they would have like because the staging of it would have been a lot better so that that i was i watched the whole thing and i was i was kind of like stunned a little bit um but again that wasn't really in the era that i used to watch i watched before when it was wwf and it was like a lot smaller and a lot more intimate and a lot more brutal um and that that same requirement wasn't like quite there, but um, and then I watched after. But this particular one, I felt like it was like kind of rough around the edges, and they were just trying to figure out how to rate up their game. So,
1: well, they they were in disarray at the time, like behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, mm-hmm. they they were a mess, and and because they were because they had different ownership, and everybody was legit pissed and annoyed and even at the end of the pay-per-view they're like you know we want to go back and show you what happened oh we yeah. don't have that footage okay so we're just going to end the pay-per-view yeah. now and they did well that's <laughs> what I like, was saying like oh, cause okay. I I was okay. a little
3: the it wasn't I I was confused because I, I was like was that planned with Pillman or did he really get hurt and then I was like no I think he actually really got hurt but I was only saying I was only really saying that because I know like that he passed years later. And I was like, is this where he got his injury? You know, I was kind of thinking that. But. Uh, oh, no.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah. Pillman Pillman got into a, a Hummer, a car accident. Oh, he did and,
3: he? I uh, thought he was. OK, I didn't know that that's because how he died. But.
1: Uh, well, no, he didn't die that way. He injured himself and he never he wasn't the same after that. And, and that's when he went to ECW and became the loose cannon character where he was legit like acting like he was going to whip his dick out in the ring and piss in the ring. Yeah. And uh, it was really cool because he found a way to reinvent himself. But during this time, he was the high flyer, uh, you know, the, 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 the yeah. up and coming new kid that, you know, you could rally behind cause he never gave up. And it was, which is what I loved about him. And their whole storyline was feeding into like, well, what's going to happen next? Cause he did, he ended up having a match with, um, Barry Windham at the next pay per view and mm-hmm. like beating the shit out of him, you know, and which is great. Like he had his come up and was uh, was uh, the so
3: remember did. when the, they were like the it was like the anti it was like the good guy four horsemen. So it was like Sting, Nikita Koloff, um, uh, Doctor Death. Yeah, I remember like superpowers, like did this thing where they were like they did the four up and then they would turn it down. Was that before or after this? Yes. Yeah.
1: This is, that's way before like, yeah. So what I was saying earlier with the storyline, this storyline I feel like was a year late because of Sting's injury. Sting, Sting's injury really derailed a lot of things that the company kind of hedged all their bets on. Right. And so because they did that, they didn't have the backup storylines that could have kind of been pushed forward like you had in the WWF at the time you had, you know, other stronger storylines mm-hmm. besides Hogan yeah. that could work. Right. But then in, the, in, at the time in WCW, NWA moving into WCW, they were in such a transitional flux that they were, they didn't know what they they were, they didn't right. know what they were doing, you know? So you, so you have this war games match though, which, which I think ultimately, get saved on one hand because you've got like you've got guys really giving their all in the ring you know and legit like kicking the shit out of each other and um and and you know even as green as sid was he still looked powerful and menacing oh fuck
0: yeah Uh, he still looked like fucking saber man
1: (laughs) (laughs) and like i said even zabisco had his moments too you know when he's getting pounded, his face pounded into the ground yeah, or, so, or into
0: the, the the chain link fence and shit like that was, yeah. Yeah,
1: so uh, yeah the, the war games, yeah, go ahead.
3: Oh, no, I was just saying, so I'm not, it's like, I'm not, like, bashing it, per se. It's not the, this is not the great American bash. <laughs> um, it was just, it was an observation from, like, a production level kind of, like. Oh, yeah. I was just, like, I was watching it, and I was kind of like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, why am, like, it just, and, like, but it was, like, my sense of it was that, they were trying to figure it out in like in real life. And that's what you, that you're saying. And so it was like confirms my thoughts about watching it. And because I wasn't really into that, like any of the drama at that time, I just was kind of, I was watching the matches and stuff and just being like, Oh man, this, this isn't as like sharp and put together as I'm like used to from those same people that I think that that's kind of where I was at. And then I kind of, and like the end of the match Obviously, he was injured, but it was just like, I remember I said to myself, because I live by myself, um, if I had paid for this, I'd be pissed. That's what I said, just because of the way it ended. And it was like the referee, like came on to explain why they he, he's like i stand by my decision yeah <laughs> and like it was and yeah. then i was confused because and i was like well, that was there was such showmanship about it i was like was that rehearsed or not and it just kind of was like and we're out and like peace that there was no like i don't know and so i just i was a little i i was just like yeah it was it was just very rough around the edges but like i said they 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 worked it out and they figured it out and it like um, when I was watching some of the matches moving through it like I, it was like a match of Brad Armstrong and um what's his name um, buddy Bobby, Bobby Eaton was it yeah Bobby Eaton um, yeah, and then I was like I was like oh yeah Brad Armstrong totally forgot about that guy so I looked him up and Jim Hurd came up in that little discussion about him and and they were a lot of and I started seeing more and more how people were like really down on Jim Hurd's stewardship. And, and then, so then when I was, when I saw that the closing credits of the pay-per-view and I saw Jim Hurd at the top, I was like, Oh, okay. And yeah, and know, it all made sense to me. So,
0: I mean, isn't all of this a testimony to the genius of Vince McMahon and how he can kind of, you know, and I know, we all agree, we know he's a horrible fucking person, he's sexist, he's fucking terrible, yeah. But he's also a marketing fucking genius. He he is, that's just what it is. And, I mean, isn't it a testimony? Like, I mean, it's the best. And, and there's a reason why WWE owns pretty much everything, you know, at this point, wcw too, because... It, isn't it the obvious clear winner? Like, you know what I mean? Well, Even yeah. back then, it was the obvious clear winner. But, and then you, of course, everything snowballs because then you have a bigger budget. And then, of course, with a bigger budget, you can hire better camera crew and, you know, better camera operators. Like, everything just it's, it gets snowballed outwards. But at the end of the day, isn't all of this a testimony to how to how
3: much of a genius Vince McMahon is? Well, I mean, Zach can talk to it like probably more than me. I've always like, you know, outside of the these last few years where the allegations have started to come out, I I would always say, like when I started to realize where Vince McMahon came from, um, the like sort of like the pedigree he came from, the situation with what wrestling looked like at the time and buying his company from his father. And he's like a he was like a visionary. And he did he did all these things to transform um the uh the sport quote unquote sport um and he made it he made it the most recognizable product um i like i i i if i was a well-known screenwriter i would write i would write a story about that because i i find it fascinating and it, and it also because it's like the rise and fall and it's not to celebrate him it's actually to show how like you know how dirty it, he could be in some spaces but i think like wcw though it wasn't like the testament there was like because right after this period that i'm talking about like when i said they figured it out they like they figured it out and like they were still separate from they were separate from wwe because wwe didn't buy into like late 90s or like 2000 or something Um, I think. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and, and, in that era you're you're describing is actually way more short lived, I think, than uh, than like it it was like a five year period. Mm -hmm. Really, it wasn't that long. But this was this this time period, like 91 to I want to say 94, 95, when Hogan left and eventually came into WCW and things started to pick back up. Uh, was a was a was a definitely a downtime for them, mm-hmm. you know. When their big star Ric Flair leaves, uh, suddenly they're like, whoa, shit, what are we gonna do now?" But if you go like those mid, I want to say eighty three to like eighty nine is a golden mm-hmm. era for NWA oh, yeah. as well. Oh yeah, so good. You know? But that's but that's when you had all these other territories basically wrestlers going from one territory to another wrestling their people in their like little areas, like world-class championship wrestling was based in Texas. So Ric Flair would go there and wrestle their guys there. Right. So what you're describing Corey is in, in talking about Vince McMahon being such a, you know, genius, which he is in many, in many ways, a visionary. um, He had a different kind of control over his company that these other companies didn't have. You had, you know, circus these this is like a you know it's circus basically little mini circuses all over the country you know and you had some guys who just wanted to make money and didn't give a fuck about the talent then you had some guys who let the talent run the whole thing and that didn't go very well because the the certain guys wanted to go over you know and they were caused infighting and whatnot so what was going on there was so many power struggles going on in all these other companies versus WWF which had its own Issues too. Don't get me wrong, but they were able to control it better than these other companies were, and that's why all these other companies eventually folded and failed. You know, because and they'll they'll blame WWF for you know, well, uh, Vince McMahon came in and took my talent away. We're like, yeah, because he paid the guys more money. Mm-hmm. Like that makes sense. You know, and they had no insurance, so they need the, as much money as they can get. You know, uh, so. There was all that backstage politics, which led to so much disruption on screen at times. You know, I always say, like, that's one of the reasons I loved NWA is because it was rough around the edges. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the and if you look at, like, world-class championship wrestling with the Von Erics, those were great matches, but those guys could not cut promos. <laughs> you know, and those guys were not as, as good talkers as, like, a lot of the guys, like, Jake the Snake Roberts, for example, but there was magic in certain matches and that's what stands out. I think the most to me. And I think ultimately, yeah, I look back at the war games match and I go for all its flaws, like the magic around some of these characters was still there to an extent. Like the Steiner brothers were still legit badass. They eventually went to the WWF, you know, um, Pillman would have gone to WWF earlier if he, if uh, if he hadn't injured himself, you know he was in a he was in a tag team with Stone Cold Steve Austin soon after this, when Stone Cold was stunning. Steve when he looked, he, he looked. Uh,
3: with, remember when he looked like um, Rick Flair with the bob? Remember that? He yeah. did.
1: Yeah, he was. They were called the Hollywood. That's Blons, when I first. <laughs> and they. <laughs> Years later, Uh, I was like, wait a minute,
3: that's the guy when he like, he you know, the Texas (laughs) Rattlesnake or whatever. Like years later, I'm like, wait a minute, I remember Steve Austin. That doesn't look like the guy I remember from like 10 years ago.
1: (laughs) Right. And he got his start in Texas at at World Class Championship Wrestling, too. But he was uh, he was pissed because he loved what he was doing with Pillman. They were great. They were a great heel tag team. But then Jim Hurd was like, that's not going to work. And they basically wrote him off. But they were like a top heel team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these guys were going to the ring and work their asses off. Like Brad Armstrong, for example, like Diallo brought up, and Bobby Eaton were legit great wrestlers. But they just didn't get their moments to shine as much as they should have. Brad Armstrong became, you know, he was like a – he's basically the he, – he was the good – the best jobber to put in a match where you're like, this guy actually might have a chance, and then he would ultimately lose. So,
0: so Bobby the Brain Heenan, before he became a manager, he was a wrestler – um,
3: was jimmy hart ever a wrestler or was he always a manager i think he was, think always, he was always a manager, manager i think yeah there was a few guys that were always like um uh jim cornette I think he was just they were like more they were like more promoters, I think, um, behind stage. And yeah, it was like that kind of deal. But uh, okay. And I think
1: Jimmy Hart got his start in Memphis, Memphis wrestling with Jerry Lawler. I think that's where he. I could be wrong, but I think that's where he got his start. You know, all these guys came from something else. Yeah. You know, and ultimately, a a lot of times people are like, oh, WWF's homegrown talent. Well, Hulk Hogan started in the AWA. AWA, yeah. Yeah. Yeah and he was what? a bad guy at, you know when he first started. What, what is it? Is so, that
0: a, is that Atlanta wrestling? Oh, what a- a-
1: American oh. Wrestling Association? Okay.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. That, that was the, the he's from the South one originally Hulk Hogan. He Well, he's from Tampa.
3: Yeah, okay. Yeah, they were all like but, they were all very the all the wrestling um organizations were regional and I think that I mean when I you know I heard stories uh you know from other people uh where you know vince did like you know because it was back in the day when it was like handshake kind of deal and like he totally screwed people over like he stole like yeah. you know he promised them stuff and kind of took over their like territories and he just kind of spread out and that's what i mean it's like it's a it's an ugly story it's like to me it's like uh he's like a modern postmodern or modern um like P.T. Barnum, you know, like, yeah, he he definitely had uh, like a, a genius knack for like he, he he would be like the dark side of the greatest show uh, that, you know, like you tell that story. And he but the man is like the dark side of that. Um, yeah. But,
0: but I mean, I don't think he's I don't think he's unique in the fact that, like, I think to become as big, big and successful as the bar, you know, PT Barnum's and stuff, and as as Vince McMahon did, I don't think you can be very ethical and and be a very good person to get that level of success. Mm-hmm. I think there is a trade off. Um, unfortunately for Vince McMahon, it's sort of a racist and and sexist trade off, and a lot of other things, very controlling, and you know, million documentaries out there talking about it. But he's, I mean, he's definitely a genius. Like in, in a certain regard. He is a genius, and you can't, you can't take that away from him, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's— I think
1: ultimately— oh.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, I was going to say, you take uh, Bruno San Martino, who mm-hmm. was the faceplate mm-hmm. of WWF, mm-hmm. and then he leaves, and all he does is go on a Vince McMahon hate mm-hmm. campaign. Legitimately, he had legitimate things to say negatively about McMahon, and then helped uh, a new company, UWF. Mm-hmm. You know, this is going to be different than WWF everybody was going to be different it was always going to be different these all these companies that would come up but they would ultimately fail unfortunately because it's like going against Amazon basically you know and yeah it's like what are you juggernaut. gonna do and then what does Bruno San Martino do he comes back and gets in uh you know put in the hall of fame with the WWF and there's a you know him and Vince McMahon are basically making up It's like Yellowstone in a way, you know, with Kevin Costner's character. It's like they always come back, you know. And Yellowstone's character, he's he's a nicer guy than Vince McMahon on paper, Mm -hmm. but uh, but it's this idea of like you can't fuck with with the main company. It's always going to win, and it did. It ultimately did win, and it beat out everybody, which is a shame because you know that Surfers thing that we had that didn't that didn't go on forever like I wished it would have. But I will say I will say the the action figures that they put out at the time, which were like mini versions of those giant LJN figures were 10 times better than the uh, LJN big dolls that they put out. And, you know,
0: I mean, as much as I love uh, crow sting, (laughs) um, I I very much like if you ever say sting to me. Surfer Sting is always what pops in my head. Um, watching that, you know, watching this episode, Zach's, your, you know, yours, the War Game one. Um, I was like, I mean, he looks like a fucking superhero. Uh, I sent, yeah. you know, I sent the boys uh, a picture of uh, that, that. You know, 2000 AD character, a uh, martial law, that UK uh, character looks like fucking that, like just head to toe, like like, you know, mer- like the colors and everything. And, and it's it's pretty amazing just watching all of these guys, you know, just they all look like superheroes. I, I keep saying it over and over again, but as a kid, I, I loved Sid Vicious Um obviously i'm not that discerning because you know you guys have both proven that he's not really a technical you know uh, fighter um but i liked him as a kid because Sabretooth was and still is my favorite marvel villain and i thought he looked exactly fucking like him i'm like he's a walking persona (laughs) of fucking Sabretooth. that would be badass you know i'm just like waiting for him to say birdie and like you know snap his fingers you know (laughs) and uh and it's just like it looks i mean fuck, man, it looks amazing just to watch these guys wrestle. And yeah, you know, watching Sid Vicious, I was a little bit underwhelmed, but I was equally overwhelmed. With how cool Sting was, like, like I said, when yeah. he was fucking pressing fucking Ric Flair against the top of the ceiling, and Ric was like, ah, 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 you know, it's great, and Ric Flair's selling it, even with his fucking terrible haircut. That you know, he his his you know his fucking self esteem took a hit with that fucking haircut. He looks like a five year old boy. Oh, um, But he's selling it, man. He's selling everything, and you know, like, it was fun. I I had a fun time with it. Um. I'm not going to lie. I, like Diallo, I, I could see the the monetary differences between the two, but that yeah. didn't you know t- take away from from my enjoyment of the match. But you could see that it's it's not WWE. I mean, it's so no. blatantly apparent that it's not you know, and and it's just WWF just had such a leg up on things. But uh, th- this match was still pretty. Pretty impressive and a lot of fun up until the end, and I just didn't understand what had sort of happened. Um, I also didn't understand why I almost saw uh, um, um, was it, flying Brian's but I almost saw his butthole when uh, when Sid vicious <laughs> fucking power bombs him. I was like, I was like, man, flying Brian, yeah, you, you gotta you had to shave all of that, didn't you? Because it's like it's, his underwear like went right up there, which goes back to me as a kid always being like. I always liked the wrestlers who had the long pants, and not so much the, uh, the underwear.
2: I
1: know. Look, I, I, because I, I really love. I marked out big time for flying Brian. I thought he was he he was the first guy I saw who would do this move. He'd he'd uh, hop up on the top rope and then jump off the top rope doing a flying clothesline off the middle of the top rope. And and he was legit, like super talented. And so for I, he was a great babyface for me at at the time. And then watching him get his ass kicked by Wyndham and Flair uh, for, you know, seven minutes or whatever it was. And, and building up that tension. And I'm like, oh, shit. You know, he's got this giant ass bandage on his shoulder to sell this injury that he had allegedly. And and you're building up this great storyline. I'm like, what's going to happen next? And then Sting gets in there and wrecks shop. Butthole or no butthole, I still love that. <laughs> well,
0: well, you bring up a good point. Um, I wonder if Flying Brian would have survived uh, had he been able to actually utilize the top uh, ropes because the, the cage was so far down that they couldn't do anything uh, of the sort, you know? So it almost makes you yeah. wonder if he would have had more of a chance uh, to survive the match. Um, I do just want to call out really quick that um, I saw that Hell in the Cell cage in real time where... Um, where mankind loses his tooth and all that kind of stuff. And I think that cage was higher so they could do like sort of more stuff in it, Mm -hmm. but it was fun to see this, to see sort of like a precursor, you know, cage match. Uh, Mm -hmm. Plus I'd never seen one where two, two rings were sort of pushed side by side. And, I didn't watch the rest of the the pay-per-view cuz I didn't really have time. Did they utilize the two rings next to each other or did they just do that for that final
3: match? I'm sorry, Zach. <laughs> no. That sorry. was that was another reason why like I mean, I got it. Like the logistics of actually like kind of stopping and putting another ring in there for that last event just wasn't realistic, but it just it's the kind of thing that like the WWF would have like, they would like it. Just it felt awkward having like two rings side by side for the whole event, and it wasn't until they dropped the cage down that it became like a thing.
2: Apparent
0: as to what this yeah. was for, and, and, and
3: I and I'm just saying that from like uh, again, um, like so when I think about like sp- like sports, professional sports, and I think how like football is kind of like in the United States just like taken. It's basically, like, the number one sport, right? And I think, like, but a lot of it is because it just looks, it's a product that looks so much better on TV, so, like, everybody can access it. Like, I went to a, a Niner game this past year, last year, and I almost was like, oh, I'd rather kind of watch it at home um, because I know I'm going to get all the angles and I'm going to get the breakdowns and all that stuff. And um I think that the WWF Vince McMahon he like he understood that, and I think that's a lot of why the um, the strategy that he had, and that's why a lot of the his league grew, the way that it grew because he like he was like television is the future kind of kind of deal, and um, but like watching the WCW like the. Again, I could talk about the way the, the steel cage is cool. I'm not saying that's not cool, but just for like watching it on television, it doesn't like it, it just doesn't it's not as physically appealing because you can't quite see everything that's going on from a distance, different angles. So it's kind of stuck inside. Um, well well then, did
0: did the cage thing start at WCW and then WWF made it better no. it,
3: with the hell in the cell thing this I mean I, I don't know I always saw cage matches steel cage matches just in wrestling and they were it was like the kind of like vince yeah. kind and then WWF the, I I'm I think they were the ones that started to do like the bars and that's yeah. like visually it looked better because you can see in it, it like it just was more dynamic right um it wasn't as gritty you know um but anyways it's just for for television it doesn't it didn't work as well for me so they had this two rings sitting there for the entire pay-per-view and it just like it just felt awkward and odd and kind of like i don't want to use the word cheap but it just felt like they did. It was there's something like they just needed to figure. They just needed to figure out how to like package everything a little bit better. And I also feel like they just were trying to like they were trying to be more like WWF because that was the popular thing. And but that wasn't their game. That's that like, they they weren't WWF. They were they were NWA turned had turned into WCW. So they needed to figure out. Like who they were, which like they and they kind of sparked that with the NWO stuff after, you know, some a few years later. So, well,
0: well, and and it should it should also be noted that between the two matches, uh, you know, there's only X amount of years, like less than five years between the two matches, and that we watched, and the second match is infinitely bloodier. Mm -hmm. And my my question is is did WCW kind of find was that their niche did they push the the blood and the bleeding oh, yeah. forward they were way darker yeah. okay yeah wwf so wcw is a bit darker yeah, WWF. Than, than yeah WWF. like or man or? had
3: like a no blood yeah. rule or something like that so it was very much for families and you know uh inner like it was like a whole family entertainment thing and w, WC, w nwa was where i went to like watch like the real fighters fight you know yeah
0: okay Okay, so the other the other guys the 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 lower the the other guys the the smaller guys figured that violence was the way to sort of go up higher versus WWF where he was Vince McMahon's like let's keep it still sort of all ages to kind of capture every viewer at least with the blood said. at least with uh, the blood so, part yeah right right which which goes back to your point of of like Vince McMahon having this very clear vision of tv like broadcast tv is our future and we can't just bleed all over broadcast tv you know maybe on cable you can but not on broadcast tv because that's
3: that at the time that was still the the bar right yeah oh yeah i mean vince McMahon was like wwe wwf had like those uh, ice cream bars like so they were they were selling action figures and, and it's just yeah. That's just that was their deal, you know? And um I would pick up the wrestling magazines and read all the stuff that was going on in all the other leagues and like almost every picture was like a bloody head from somebody in some other league, but it was they never really covered I don't think they really covered WWF very much um in those wrestling magazines. But like that's kind of what like the wrestling I saw my uncle like I remember him always like he he knew all of, like Bruiser Brody and all these guys. He, was, he like he was like really into those guys, and it was like all blood and and um and they were fighting. They were fighting everywhere, and um, but yeah. Just I think I mean, it, but it's interesting to me because like WCW, once they figured it out, they were sort of like, you know, we talked. I talked about like Macho Man, sort of like was the archetype for his like kind of just being who he was and i like instead of like having to be like good or bad and then wcw kind of i think in my experience really kind of took that on um a little more and then when they when they had the uh, they they were kind of like the spark for what became the attitude era for wwf later so i don't know they it's kind of like went back yeah. and forth and they informed each other um but yeah, I I just I I I I didn't mean to – I didn't want to crap on your uh your PP your pay per view
1: Zach. <laughs> oh, it's it's yeah. all it's to each his own. To each his own. No, it's just different 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 organizations. I mean, I watched the whole thing. And, like I didn't and, have to, uh, but
3: I was like I'm I'm watching because like I wanted to watch it. Like I get to watch a a, a pay per view.
1: That was that's what. That's why I recommended that one match versus the whole thing because I'm like, well, that wasn't my fit. If I had to pick a pay-per-view from from there, I definitely would not have chosen WrestleWar91. But that match in particular (laughs) has a nostalgic vibe for sure.
0: Zach, (laughs) would you have picked WCW Clash of the Champions 24 in 1993 with the debut of (laughs) Shockmaster?
1: But I'm wondering why. Yeah, so you did. Oh, boy. I mean, so this is a perfect example. Oh, Dusty Rhodes came up with wow. that gimmick. Okay. And
0: uh Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, I- I'm gonna need you guys to sort of fill me in on on some things. So, Shockmaster, I've known about this. I've seen the YouTube video, but I was like, what am I gonna bring to the table? I'm gonna just, you know, try to figure out a little bit of the backstory, and this is just kind of was just kind of to inform me. Um I don't expect our discussion will go as long as as the last two for this one, but I got a little something prepared (laughs) here, so. (laughs) All right, so, guys and gals, uh, the Shockmaster. Uh, uh, Fred Ottman made an unforgettable debut as the Shockmaster at WCW Clash of the Champions 24 in 1993. But before we talk about that, let's, uh, let's have a little backstory on Fred. So, Fred Ottman... Was born August 10, 1957, and got his start in 1985 when he wrestled for championship wrestling from Georgia. In September of 98, he went to championship wrestling from Florida as a heel called Big Steel Man. And he was managed by Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, Zach, you like to do his... Um, his DDP yoga. And my buddy Xair is friends with uh, Diamond Dallas Page in, in real life. So, shout out to Xair. So, Fred Ottman entered the World Wrestling Federation in 1988 as Tugboat. In 91, he became Typhoon and teamed up with Earthquake and became known as the Natural Disasters. Uh, After uh, departing WWF for the WCW, the World Championship Wrestling, in 1993, Ottman then donned the glittered, covered Star Wars Stormtrooper helmet and became the Shockmaster. As I said, Shockmaster debuted at WCW Clash of Champions 24 with his team Sting, uh, Dustin Rhodes, and Davey Boy Smith against Sid Vicious, Big Van Vader, and Cole. Unfortunately, after much hype from his teammates, Shockmaster bursts through the stage wall (laughs) like the Kool-Aid man, but he trips over a piece of wood and falls face first to the ground. As his helmet goes sliding across the floor, you can hear Sid Vicious holding back laughter. and Ric Flair, you can hear Ric Flair say, Oh, no. <laughs> In the original airing, you can actually hear Davey Boy Smith say, He fell flat on his arse. Flat on his fucking arse. And they, they cut that later. Uh, Fred Artman... Fred... Sorry. Fred Ottman tried to recover, but the damage was done. He... he he would forever be a wrestler. He would forever be a wrestling meme, a cautionary tale, and the living proof why stormtroopers can't hit shit. <laughs> now it should be noted that they tried to push the shockmaster uh, gimmick further a little bit more, and they made him like a klutz. They're like, "Well, yeah, let's spin it. Let's make him into a klutz." But it never hit. It never sort no. of made it. Um, but. To this day, you know, they made an action figure of, of Shockmaster as a Comic-Con exclusive. Mm. Um, even in the packaging, he's upside down. <laughs> but but- – you know, from all all reports uh, indicate that Fred Ottman is a super nice dude. He loves talking about shockmaster. He embraces it and I think that's really fucking cool. And he's really positive about it. He's like, look, everybody in their life has a shockmaster moment. You know, it's it's what you do after that is is what defines you and it's it's fucking true. We've all had a shockmaster moment that was uh, thankfully not aired, but his was. Why do we um,
2: why do
3: we fall so we can get back. So we can get back up, and he got back <laughs> right. up.
0: He did get back up. He did um, yeah. And finally, I just would like to note that the voice of the Shockmaster was done by Ol Anderson. Um, he did other God. voices yeah. as well, but you can tell that when the Shockmaster stands up, he's 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 gesturing like he's talking. <laughs> but I think Ol Anderson was such in shock that he
3: wasn't doing the voice. Apparently, he was um, laughing also or in the background. I, I mean, yeah.
0: so. So, in you know, moving forward, Fred Ottman has talked before about what happened. So multiple things went wrong. One, they told him that it was a full wall, like a, a normal wall, and he was going to have to really bust through it. And uh, so he did, but it wasn't. It was, it was, you know, a fake wall. So he kind of toppled face forward because of his momentum. And at, also, too, it was a double entendre of things going wrong. Um, there was a, 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 the frame of the wall there was a wooden plank on the bottom that was not there during rehearsal. Uh, so he trips over that because if you've seen the picture of Shockmaster, you he can't see through the, the helmet at all. I don't no. know why anyone thought that was a great idea, but it is a Stormtrooper replica helmet spray-painted with pink glitter all over. Even the fucking eyepieces. It's, it's <laughs> opaque. He can't see through it at all. And he takes Sad. a dive... And it's hilarious, and I'm glad that, you know, he emotionally survived it, but it is considered to be one of the greatest gaffes in sports history. <laughs> Probably
1: the best. Yeah, and and I'm
0: happy that he's embraced it uh, completely. But for me, I didn't see this in real time, but I've heard about it pretty much 93 and on. I've heard about it my entire life. It's it's it, you know most people, especially wrestling fans, know about the Shockmaster debacle, um, and I just wanted this excuse to sort of maybe dive in a little bit uh, deeper into it. But uh, Zach, were you there for the <laughs> debut of Shockmaster?
1: I mean, I watched it. I watched when it. You national, saw look, that I happen know. in
0: real time. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. What were your yeah. thoughts, <laughs> man? <laughs> I, I held on. I held on to the WCW for so long. I was like, come on, guys. you got to figure this shit out. You can do it. You can do it. Because, again, I loved the earlier era. And I was like, when are you going to go back to that? And they didn't. It just got more. They tried to copy... WWF like with more colorful characters they brought the British Bulldog in at this point he had the you know from the WWF that was their big get right and uh, Flair came back and was doing a horseman talk show with Arn Anderson who was like injured at the time again injured because he actually like uh, was uh, not paralyzed but like has severe pain in one arm and he couldn't move one arm for the longest time Um you know like so many just busted gimmicks that just didn't go anywhere and then this comes out and I'm like holy shit it's going to be tugboats coming to the w- WCW because all you could I listened to the hotlines and I would pay the 99 cents to get the info on this shit and I heard he was coming and then he does and you're like oh man no no this is so bad It's so bad it's so bad
0: And so how much hype was before it though it was kind of hyped up wasn't it like the debut oh, yes. of Ding was
1: talking about it you know i've got a friend a big friend that's coming in you know uh i've got a big friend that's coming into the company and and thunder and hogan at this point i think had come to the wcw or soon after uh and he had thunder and paradise that show it was a T- TNT TBS, show. I
3: think I
1: was um, it might have been TNT. Yeah, TNT show. And, and you know, all the WCW guys were on there. It was bad. Like, it, it, it's just the gimmicks were just weak. The writing was weak. It didn't feel good. And, yeah, seeing Shockmaster. And then t- for him to, to continue his buffoonery gimmick moving forward, I was like, man, they could, uh, they could have spun it like he got attacked from behind or something. You know, they could have done that they could have pulled the dusty dusty roads came up again. Dusty roads came up with this gimmick and you're like dusty. And he, he's on, even gone on record back in the day. He's like, yeah, not every, not every idea I came up with was good. <laughs> not all gold, fact baby. <laughs> that, no. And the fact that Ole Anderson was the guy doing the voice and Oly Anderson was one of the original members of the four horsemen. It's kind of a piece of shit. Apparently, you know, like not a good guy. So I'm sure he was loving every minute of it. <laughs>
3: and,
1: <laughs> Because those guys, you know, they, they were goofing on each other. They were goofing on each other all the time backstage. So I'm sure uh, this was, you know, he didn't live that down. I'm happy that Fred Ottman's still alive to this day, doing conventions, doing appearances, and he's just happy to do tugboat, typhoon, or shockmaster.
0: I, apparently, he brings the shockmaster helmet with him, and that's what people kind of talk to him about. And he's he's a okay with it. So I I love that. Uh, Diallo, do you, do you remember the Shockmaster?
3: No, I mean, I wasn't watching at that time regularly, so I just, like, I didn't hear about it until, like, maybe the late, late 90s or early 2000s, but when it had become, like, internet lore. And, uh, you know, kind of... you mean, know, I've seen it over the years since then. Um, I, I do have a hot take about it, <laughs> though, actually. Sure. So, because... I mean, we, we obviously like I watched it. I was texting you guys like I laughed for like 10 minutes straight. Just, just even when you were just talking about it now, I just started thinking about it. I, I know. Can't, can't stop laughing. Yeah. It's so Because I mean, when, like, he,
0: so when he goes down, he goes down <laughs> so hard. And he, you can tell
2: he's like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Not, like yeah,
3: just... Not like these. Not like these. Yeah, like he, he's stumbling. The helmet falls.
0: Oh, and it then it's is. all their reactions when the, when you hear rick flair go oh no
1: it's just like <laughs> that's the best that's the best part one of the best parts
3: but i i have kind of a hot take which is like like the the fall isn't like because like i he was he was set up to be like this person that was going to take on uh big van vader but like he, he had a big ass glitter <laughs> stormtrooper. Yeah. Like he was not like even if he hadn't have fallen, he he wasn't like intimidating or scary. He looked like, he looked like a a seventies disco thing. Yeah, and that so he would he wouldn't have been yeah. he would have been a laughing stock anyway. In my opinion, just not to the degree that he became. So that's just that's my little hot take. Like if he had the the falling was like like the icing cherry and everything off the cake. But like he that look at that picture of the guy with the with the stormtrooper mask like if he in if he hadn't fallen out I wouldn't be like oh man like that guy's going to destroy big van vader like you know? Like come on. Yeah, no, no, you're 100% correct. I mean, it's it's
0: hilarious. Like he's 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 got this sleeveless trench coat that's open sort of. It's, it's
1: like a it's a fur coat. It's like a fur thing. Yeah,
0: cuz it's got kind of something happening and and yeah. and it doesn't match the helmet cuz then you're like yeah. why is the helmet first off for, first off why is it a stormtrooper helmet? Right. Second off, why is it completely painted glitter, you know?
1: Well, and, and on top of that too so big big van vader uh when when he was in japan he had this massive cool ass helmet like had steam steam coming out of it and and he came to when he came to wcw or nwa at the time i forget uh he would take there was a big like uh, you know, big show that he would bring the he'd come down to the the uh, the ring with the helmet on. He'd take it off. You would see the, the steam coming out of it. But when he took his helmet off, he kind of looked like a guy with a dominatrix mask on, you know, <laughs> yeah, and yeah,
2: like, I remember bang. that. Yeah, would, like,
1: like a panty, like almost like he had a women's panty on his head. And and it was not as intimidating as he was when he had the helmet on. And I'm sure they were kind of trying to go for a similar gimmick of like, oh, we're gonna, this is gonna look so cool, but obviously they failed. Uh,
0: I, holy shit! I, I mean, while you're talking, I, I googled. Uh, if you Google Big Van Vader, like the second one down, his helmet, he looks like something out of fucking Air Raiders or something.
3: Like it, it's badass. It's, it's, uh, it's
0: insane.
3: He actually wears it on the on the pay per view that uh, that we that we watched. Uh, so he actually does it. He comes down the he there, comes down the aisle and he takes off. Yeah. The steam comes out and he takes it off, he puts it in front of him and then he like points to it and it's like this big spectacle and yeah.
0: But the funny thing is I
1: I, I, guess, I against know, Stan ha- Hansen, yeah, by the way. Stan yeah, Hansen's yeah, a legit yeah.
3: badass too. I,
0: <laughs> but the thing is, like, I know Big Van Vader from, from the weird gimp mask that he has yeah. underneath, not the metal one. The metal one's fucking awesome. Um yeah, dude. Well that's the
1: thing too. Japan knew what knew what was up. Like they had they had gimmicks over there that really were fucking cool and then it comes over here and it's like watered down and shit. So. Well,
0: I growing up my buddy xair um was a big uh, um uh, Great Muda fan. Mm. So I've always been like like sort of another Great, legit. Yeah, Great Muda's always sort of been not shoved down my throat, but like I, I know who he is and everything. Maybe maybe next year we can cover Japanese wrestling or something like that. That'd be kinda cool. Um, but, but yeah, that, that fucking big Van Vader, infinitely fucking cooler than Shockmaster and Diallo to your point, I, I think, yeah, that's, that's ultimately the thing. Like, even if he didn't fall flat on his face, it wouldn't have worked. Like that gimmick is not going to work period. Yeah. And the only way that it was ever going to be memorable is is if he fell flat on his face, mm-hmm. like that's how it was ever going to be memorable yeah. as the greatest intro gaff of all time, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, if like if like Hulk Hogan just fell on his face, it would have just disappeared. But it's the fact that he <laughs> looked like that
3: and still fell on his face. It's so like it's like you would think that he was acting in a certain sense, like he he. It's like if you were to pretend I was falling, I would act like that. And then, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? But then at the very end, the helmet falls off and he's like shuffling. You're like, no, he, he did not. He did not do that on purpose.
0: All I could think of, and I know I sent the gif to you guys, but all I could think of was the Matrix <laughs> when that one chicken white. She's like, not like these, <laughs> not like these, yeah. <laughs> not like these. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, it's so good. I love doing these wrestling shows with you guys. I know it's a yearly thing, um, but at this point, I kind of look forward to it. And I this is my biggest outlet to talk about wrestling is this yearly event on on TV Obscura. So I, I absolutely enjoyed it. Um, my, my thoughts on the two matches, because, you know, Shockmaster doesn't really, uh, you know, count. <laughs> Um, it's a match in itself. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed them both. I, I enjoyed them both for different reasons, uh, different nostalgia. Like I have, I have different nostalgia for WWF that I have for WCW. I had a good friend uh, growing up, Robbie. He was a big Sting fan. So like, if I hung out with him, I'd watch WCW. If I hung out with Luke, I'd watch WWF. So it was kind of nice seeing both. Um, you know, and they weren't necessarily from the same era, but they were close enough that you could see the differences of the two and especially in presentation and and all that kind of stuff and you know i i think that there's a lot of awesomeness at wcw but at the same time i think we can uh, i think it's obvious as to why vince mcmahon won you know like we're watching wcw matches on peacock because wwe owns it you know like vince won that's bottom line you know but um Both of those matches had things in it that I loved and I was surprised by as someone watching in the year 2023, which just kind of goes to show that, you know, physical prowess, like story matches, stories aside and, you know, all this kind of stuff, the the art of wrestling, like just the idea of these physical guys and gals, you know, doing their thing and, you know, like, you know, you watch it and you can just and you know the backstory, and you know that like they're helping each other, and the one guy that's getting slammed is also trying to make the other guy look good, and the other guy who's slamming him is also trying to protect him so he doesn't hurt himself. Like I, that's the shit that I love, and it's like a fucking dance, and it's it's awesome. I'll you know never move forward and become a wrestling guy, but I like where I live in the wrestling world. <laughs> I like my little spaces that I that I inhabit because I like to be able to talk to him about about it with you guys and everything. But um. Uh, Diallo, any final thoughts on on the two matches and Shockmaster?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, that era of the the WWF, that 87 to 89, to me is sort of like peak uh, WWF in terms of like where it was turning from a startup to like it was blowing up that first time it blew up, you know? Yeah. and there was a lot of magic and memorable stuff that happened then and um you know the repercussions are felt today still um again i the wcw stuff like again i as much as i like i went in on it i I mean i like i voluntarily watched i was like i'm watching this whole thing because i wanted to like i used to watch that those wrestlers so i wanted to watch it you know and it was great to like see like again people that i kind of forgotten about and um like saw where people like the the phases the phase that they were in between when i used to watch them to where i picked up again so i saw what they were doing in the middle um yeah it was it was good times good fun and you know like shockmaster <laughs> he's shocking he's, yeah <laughs> like it's just so I remember, I mean, I when I found out years later, oh, I was like, oh, that was Tugboat, because I remember Tugboat, you know, and what Tsunami oh, yeah. or whatever it was. So I was like, oh, uh, typhoon. I, yeah, typhoon. typhoon. I was like, oh, that's that guy. That's crazy, you know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's crazy.
3: He went straight down. Yeah. He went straight down. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, Zach, what, uh, any final thoughts on all of these?
1: Well, it's, it's so interesting to see, like, where gimmicks go, whether they fail or whether they work or not and uh, I miss the era of of it being of us not knowing what was going on behind the curtain uh, whether it was good or bad now we know everything that goes be on behind the curtain and it's just like with celebrities now it's like well there was a time when we didn't know all this shit and it actually made it a little bit more enjoyable um, I, I, I love my late 80s slightly early 90s of nwa right before they made the turn to wcw and knowing that they made the turn right at the the same year uh that flair chopped his hair off it's really interesting like that's a whole other discussion that we could save for another another time but um yeah it's all magic man like even even sometimes the magic is is a spark and explosion like Macho and Hogan. And Sometimes it's a crash and burn like Shockmaster,
2: <laughs> and then
1: and then you see the brutality. Like the bottom line is, uh, whether these matches work or don't, these guys are beating the hell out of each other. And I remember watching the War Games match with Bodie, and I'm like, you do like they are, you know, even though there there is an outcome to this that they that is scripted they are still really beating each other up legitimately. They're hitting each other hard. So the brutality of that match is a reminder of like kind of what I love about wrestling. It's like, my God, this is human cockfighting. And there's something very appealing to me about that. Cause it's like, cause they're also, it's not MMA. They're like creating a storyline in there too. You know, these are li- guys afterwards that might get a beer together or in the case of Arn and Sid go stab each other in the chest. So, uh, you know, it's it's just a it's an era that sadly is gone. But th- fortunately, you know, WWE is still around to put it out there for all of us to see. And also, fortunately, you've got a guy like Triple H, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who's basically, you know, running a big part of the creative now instead of Vince McMahon. Uh, and and Vince, Vince McMahon getting forced out. If you're interested, look that up. You know, I'm glad he was. He deserves to be forced out. He's done. Like, his... He forced all these other guys to to close their doors and and had really talented people suddenly out of a job and and he's you know he's inching his way back he always finds a way to get back in but uh, man that I'm it, it's just interesting that I actually started watching wrestling again fairly recently once Vince McMahon left and that says something says something like maybe there's a new era that's coming back because triple h is a big fan of the nwa style in fact he brought the war games back to nxt their uh their farm brand and they had the war games earlier this year or last year anyways uh a variation on it so i'm glad we talk about this stuff i'm glad we we, we got back into it again and i can't wait to do it again next year
0: next year i think like like we said this is a an annual thing we do it around wrestlemania and i think by the time we're recording this by the time this drops wrestlemania will be coming out in about a couple weeks um fairly, april
1: 1st and second
0: okay, okay so yeah yeah only about a couple weeks that's because our next tv obscure would be after it and i'd always rather hype up than than you know do afterwards um but yeah guys always love talking wrestling with you guys even though i don't technically feel like i know a lot but i think i can still sort of uh hold my own uh one place that i I probably could actually hold my own but i certainly don't know as much as diallo um buddy uh the podcast you were always meant to do galactica actually Uh, (laughs) um tell us about that one buddy what uh
3: what's what's going on over there um, yeah, so uh, uh, Galactica, actually, my co-host uh, Jamie Smith, we're just, uh, each week we're going over an episode, uh, in, you know, in order of uh, the reimagined Battlestar Galactica. Um, I was a fan of the original show, so I add a lot of like my memories about that in context to some epithets to the reimagining that's happening in the moment. Um, yeah, and then uh, doing that, and then also um, finally put out the first uh, re-recorded episode of the first Noel um, that I've been re-recording with the production studio in um, El Segundo, and uh, going in to record uh, chapter two tomorrow. Um, so we'll have more more of that coming out. Awesome, and uh, have my you know my big uh, big debut project uh, that's going to be coming out hopefully soon. Um, we can talk about that a little bit more, um, and uh, that's uh, what I'm doing. Big things happen with Angela in the
0: dark uh, very soon. Very, very so excited. Many for yeah. So many good things. So
1: many good things.
0: Zach, what? Uh, let's see. We are nearing the end of March, so uh, you guys are wrapping up Martial Arts Madness. I know you've been plugging that, but what do you have going on in April on Two Dollar Late Fee?
1: we're discussing we've got a upcoming interview with Robert Russler from weird science and thrashing and, vamp. and he's gonna And vamp of course of course vamp uh, we'll be talking about the movie thrashing on $2 late and it's killer soundtrack it's underrated soundtrack and then on the patreon we've got a great $2 six question with Robert Russler uh, again I- interactive stuff with patrons uh trivia contests get to come on the show tales from the video store is always hot um i've got a upcoming project that i'm working on which once it's recorded and drop it then i'll talk about it but until then i'll just tease that it's uh it's another fun two dollar late fee extension extends
0: kind of like how uh the carpenter factor is an extension of podcasting after dark
1: um, yeah, this is more in the lines of T.D. Obscura uh, adjacent. Okay, so, okay. you know, something something on the free feed to look forward to, which will probably carry over into the Patreon, too. Well, there's 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 lots to come on the Patreon.
0: Doesn't it always? I mean, <laughs> ultimately, it does. Yeah. It does. Yeah.
1: The three of us will have to do another Patreon uh, feed of like. Specific episodes of certain shows. I'm sure that's gonna come down the pipe on Patreon.
0: Yeah, exactly. But right now, uh, let's see. This month, uh, we have uh, we're gonna be dropping our memoirs of an invisible man. Uh, oh, baby! <laughs> that Zach and I already already recorded. Um, it's a fun episode. It's a great discussion. And then next month on the Carpenter Factor, we will be talking about body bags. So I'm looking forward to discussing that as well. And then right around the corner, I think right after that. We have um, In the Mouth of Madness, which is the movie that I've been probably most looking forward to, uh, to, to reviewing because it's the third of the Apocalypse trilogy, and it's also one of the few Carpenter movies that I haven't seen. So I'm excited to check that one out. And uh, yeah, got great shit going on over on the Patreon page. As always, every show has a Patreon page and every show has a, a, you know, a way to review it on Apple Podcasts. So if you're a fan of $2 Late Fee, if you're a fan of Galactica Actually, if you're a fan of Podcasting After Dark, a free way to help every show, every podcast that you listen to, doesn't matter if it's ours or the ones we mentioned, leave them a five-star review on on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those really go a long way in helping out the shows that you enjoy. So if you listen to podcasts, leave them a five-star review. It helps everybody. Spread the love.
1: Check us out. Spread it. Love it. Galactic it.
3: And as always, catch you in public, if you will, on the obscure side. Oh, yeah.